This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Jake Andrew, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling, where hey, not only can you help keep this show 100% ad free, fan and listener supported, you can also get access to a whole gutload of fantastic audio goodies for your ears. Myself and Joe have been reviewing all of the pay-per-views since our inception of our Patreon, all the way back to summer 2016. There's been a monthly pay-per-view, at least one every month since then, from a WWE and some NXT, you have got a fabulous bevy of side series, including Totally Divas, where we go in-depth on everyone's favourite reality wrestling series that's celebrating its 10-year anniversary this year. As well as that, my all-time favourite podcast to record, Pay-Per-View Classique, where Joe sets a brief about the type of wrestling show she wants to watch, or fans over on Patreon vote for said pay-per-view, and then we get stuck in and give it the old in-depth review treatment. We've done everything from classic Attitude Era WWE, early Bischoff Era WCW, NWO themed escapades, as well as some trips to Japan for All Japan Women's, a little bit of TNA, and most recently, AWA Super Clash 1985, really challenging some of our preconceived notions of what makes this fabulous sport of wrestling so damn great to begin with. As well as that, we have our other new series, YouTube Wrestler Review, where we go for a deep dive on wrestlers' YouTube channels. We've had a Bobby Lash the episode, a Ryback episode, and a secret John Cena cooking channel episode so far, and all of them have been absolutely not as advertised. More of that, and as always, at least two new pieces of content a month available at patreon.com forward slash wrestling. a mere $5 a month. Get yourself access to all that content and the ever-growing library over at the Patreon, but for now, settle in, grab yourself a nice cold kendo stick, and it's time to enjoy the extreme life and times of the innovator of violence it's how to tommy dreamer Welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And today we're going to have an extremely good time with How To Tommy Dreamer. However, once again, it's me, your old pal, Captain Kevin, joined as I am always by the innovator of curiosity, Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? I am. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Oh. Today we're talking about a wrestler who I semi-idolized growing up and has maybe fallen harder times of public opinion in the last few years. Mm. It must be an episode about an erstwhile ECW wrestler. Mm. And I will say, now more than ever, if you've not listened to previous episodes, the ECW, probably the Sandman. Heyman. Probably the Heyman episode. Yeah. Maybe the Sabu and or Rob Van Dam episodes. Maybe Taz. All I'm saying is this is very much like, as well as the other reasons to be apprehensive. Yeah. I feel like we're reaching um, the summit of the mountain, so to speak here, of extreme championship wrestling. The the last major piece. I know there's many other major pieces probably still to go, but... Yeah, we're not doing an episode on Balls Mahoney. Oh, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get Balls and New Jack and Shane Douglas, okay. etc. But it feels like there's something very... Um, there's, a, there's a, an air of finality in the air today, is all I'll say. Yeah, I get that. But, um, yeah, Tommy Dreamer, 
It's not been easy to be a Tommy Dreamer fan at the best of times over the course of my wrestling fandom. Mm. And I was not very convinced you'd have a great time. Me neither. Looking up any of the stuff about him or doing or watching, etc. I've always found him a bit boring, to be honest. I, I, I don't really get the appeal of Tommy Dreamer because I think... He's always made out to be this everyman, and the people who always say that are these like white men who are like used to. You know, like every man. Yeah, like ev- everyone. <laughs> like everyone is like me, and I'm I'm like everyone, and and this my my experience is universal, and it's not it's not universal actually. Um, so to a woman, a white woman. I don't really relate to Tommy Dreamer at all. I've never been a a, a white man. Yeah, I, I was kind of somewhat getting flustered over the last few months because over in the SmackDown crawl, uh, Adam Biblo, my co-host there for the the Atier podcast Patreon series, similarly completely unaffected by Tommy Dreamer. Yeah. And he was like one of these things for me when I was growing up that he was like, if you watch that show ECW Mm. and, you know, broad strokes, we'll just say ECW was the hardcore violent, even edgier than the edgy product of the late 90s in wrestling. He was kind of like the protagonist, the Mm. main, the main guy, you know? That's not to say that he was like a Hulk Hogan or a world conquering hero. Absolutely not. Well, how do you define the main guy? He was the person who epitomized the implied values of that particular brand of professional wrestling. That just doesn't... I don't understand how you can communicate something like that on a wrestling show. Well, it's very handy when he wears a t-shirt with the name of the company. That's <laughs> it. That's all it takes. Look, you know, elite over in AEW, you're trying to win the battle about the hearts and minds and the souls. Yeah. And you got another guy saying you're not that... Just wear a t-shirt that says AEW and everyone's going to be like, those guys are the heart and soul of the place. All the wrestling fans are like, he's like me. He wears a he wears an ECW t-shirt like I do. Okay, so ECW. I mean, I might ask you actually, what would you think that some of the implied values of like, what were the, what were the things that if you were a fan of ECW in the 90s, why would you cheer certain wrestlers that you wouldn't maybe get in your WCW or your WWF? Like what? What? What's? What makes ECW different and special? Yeah, it's dirty. 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 Um, smelly. It's um. <laughs> okay, and I asked for adjectives, not synonyms. <laughs> now, come on. It's extreme. They like violence, mm-hmm. which is I always find it funny to say that because it's wrestling, and wrestling is violent. So not just your normal violence. No, it's extreme violence with like weapons. So. Okay. Kendo sticks and tables and chairs and yeah, lots of lots of chair shots and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Bleeding. Yep. Although I will say, the more I've learned about wrestling, the less I associate ECW with bleeding specifically because I do feel it's just a rich part of wrestling's history. Yeah, no, uh, we we went back recently, did AWA Super Clash '85, yeah. and anytime we take a trip outside of somewhat of the mainstream of modern wrestling, mm. you, you realize that. It's quite cyclical, isn't it? You yeah. Know, you know, the reason why ECW was probably synonymous with blood in the late 90s is that it followed a period of bloodlessness mm. in the early and mid 90s. Yeah. In, in America in particular, I guess. Mm. So, yeah, I think all the things you said are definitely true. I would say the term bravado is, is definitely up there as well. The whole idea that, like, if you think you're tough enough and you put yourself out there and take, you know... You, you throw it all to the wall, balls to the wall, man. You know, caution to the wind. That that is 
that's a virtue. How how does that get communicated in the world of wrestling? I mean, like someone like Tommy Dreamer, he get his ass kicked by ten different guys just to get his hands on that one guy he wants he wants to get revenge on. Or if Tommy Dreamer wanted to defend the honor of the woman he loved, he get put through fifteen tables and set on fire because uh, it's the right thing to do, brother. So kind of getting owned is maybe more of the brand guidelines than bravado. Yeah, I mean, I remember like you know, it's not like he's being I don't know, like he's going off having brave adventures like he's just getting beaten up by a bunch of guys eh? yeah i mean that that's kind of i'm kind of playing devil's advocate you, you absolutely are because i know there's a lot of people who like me don't really get it because like you say he's like the main character of ecw he didn't really win any championships did he uh, tommy dreamer won the ecw world title in the original ecw right for 15 minutes never got to even wear the belt right so and it got snatched away from him i think for people like me who maybe came up through wwe when they think of like main character of a company, they think it's the guy who had the title longest. Yeah. Even someone like me who doesn't even, I can't even comprehend or conceive of titles. Yeah, you really, you, uh, I you do reject not, championships. I, I, don't, I don't see titles. This is all. what happens when you watch WWE yeah. for pay-per-view reviews on Patreon. Yeah. And like some guy, times a guy comes out with three belts. Yeah. Sometimes it's one. And or it's four. The, it's the same thing. Or eight <laughs> or nine. I mean, AEW. Come on now. Come on now. But like, yeah, when I think of like the main character of mm. WWE, I think of like, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin or John Cena. Like yeah. these are guys who had the the title belts for the longest amount of time. When I think of like the main characters of like WCW, I think of again like people like Ric Flair. Yeah, who, guys who had many, many world titles. And like loads of accolades and the point where like they were like the spokesperson of the company because they were going around the world with that championship on their shoulder. So I think ECW you know, and it's good you mentioned those particular companies and those particular people because ECW on the surface was meant to be counterculture. Mm. So the main guy in that isn't going to be the world beater, the guy who's like the, the face of the brand in the traditional sense. He's there with the championship, you know, going on the Saturday morning chat shows to talk about the great wrestling show that's coming to your area. Instead, he's meant to be that self-insert protagonist for the fans who are watching where they're like, God, the world's always getting me down, you know? I'm always being beaten up at school. I'm just... You know, beaten to the punch, but people respect me still because even though I come up on the short end of things, they know my heart's in the right place and I stand for what's good and true. Right, and but what is, what is that? What does ECW consider good and true out of interest? Having a good time. Okay. Being appreciated by fans for being hardcore. Hang on, what, how, that's, how does that relate to a fan? I mean, so a fan will be like, I appreciate Tommy Dreamer because no, 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 he may no, not no. have, he may not have the win loss no. record, but he will do things no. to his body. That's not what to I'm entertain saying. Me. We're, we're talking about how fans would look at Tommy Dreamer and be like, he's like me. Okay. If we're saying he, you know, wins the respect of fans, how is a fan going to be able to relate to that? Okay, fair enough. All right, right. But in terms of how can they relate to Tommy Dreamer, it's because he's a guy who was like. Jock in high school, capture the football team type of a dude, okay. you know, who originally maybe was a bit of a pretty boy or whatever. But as the years have went on, he has rejected that kind of superficial yeah. values and instead embraced heart, soul, courage, 
wearing a t-shirt and tracksuit pants like I happen to wear a t-shirt and tracksuit pants yeah. when I'm watching the wrestling show in the late 90s. And then if we just circle back around to the implied values of ECW yeah. that Tommy Dreamer supposedly represents. Mm-hmm. You, you say having a good time is one of them. <laughs> yeah. I, well, what else though? Okay, the I- Again, I want I want to look at specifically the ways in which a person like you yeah. or an audience member, a fan, would go, yeah, he's like me. Okay, These these are my values. I wouldn't have watched a Tommy Dreamer back in those days and said he is like me. It'd be more like I, I, he is like I would like to be seen or perceived. Fair, fair, fair. Which is he's downtrodden. He is rejected. Okay. But ultimately, from his perseverance and his inner strength and his courage and his fucking crazy ballsiness, dude. Yeah. People go, you know what? that Tommy Dreamer, he's a pretty tough son of a bitch. And like, as a kid who felt like a weirdo and Mm. rejected and like not popular or whatever, the idea that all that can happen to you, but people will come around and go, you know what? He's a pretty cool dude at the end of the day. That was pretty strong. And that's pretty much the same thing with a a character like Mankind as well, I guess, where it's like, hey, he ain't the most aesthetically pleasing guy, but people can appreciate his, his heart, the thing yeah. that you can't see on the surface. Okay. And Tommy Dreamer is a guy who entered wrestling, as we'll get into, as, you know, pretty much a prototypical, hey, there's a nice, good-looking guy from yeah. down the road. Pretty boy. And he gets, no, fuck you, we don't want that. And then through pure, sheer force of will, yeah. he comes out the other side and people are like, you know what? And the greatest thing you could say about him, Joe He's hardcore, okay. which means nothing in 2023. But I have to tell you, in the late 90s and early 90s, I don't think it being means hardcore was like, yeah. I, I disagree that it means nothing now. I, I, I agree that it doesn't mean as much as it did in the 90s or the mid 2000s. But I think since AEW and GCW and companies like that have kind of had a bit of a time in the spotlight, I think hardcore matches have come back in a bit but i wouldn't expect a john moxley to be like i'm hardcore he's too cool to label himself post that now but i think that culturally we've moved past the idea of labels i think as well like labels are quite passe now i'm alternative yeah whereas when (laughs) we were growing up it was like oh you had to be in a box yeah because you weren't on the internet as much you need to be able to find things easily identity yeah Speaking of putting yourself in a box, though, it's interesting that you mentioned that he was a jock, because that yeah. kind of goes against everything that you were saying about him being like alternative and one for the freaks and the losers and stuff. Yeah, that's definitely not the part of Tommy that I was drawn to. But I know there was a lot of fans who'd be more like your typical like male sports fan in America who'd be like, hey, yeah, you know, I know what it's like throw a little ball and all of a sudden you got a wife and two kids and uh, you have to wear a t-shirt and track pants all the time. Right. Like in the same way, the jean short wearing beer sipper of America saw Stone Cold Steve Austin said, that's my guy. Yeah. A lot of folks would have tuned into ECW and went, that's my guy or that's literally my dad. <laughs> I find it fascinating how he seems to be almost an oxymoron of himself. Yeah. The fact that he is like this like downtrodden loser who gets bullied by all the other guys but he was also this popular jock character. I think you have the benefit of someone like Paul Heyman, again, check out the episodes, notorious wrestling booking genius, who has the absolutely unbelievable way to thread the needle and have audiences that were small enough as well, let's admit, mm. that you could almost control the narrative of like, it's not like a Tommy Dreamy might see on Raw, where if I said in WWE, 
this guy's portrayed as a loser. Yeah. How will that be shown to you? Well, he'll lose all the time and the announcers will laugh and say, what a loser. Mm. Whereas in ECW, you'll have the announcers go, no, Tommy, stay down. Don't do it. But still losing all the time. And still lose, but losing with with conviction. And dignity. And, and dignity. Now, this is kind of a difficult thing for me to be waxing lyrical about how great he is because this man, you want to talk about a man in a box, this man put himself firmly in the box labelled cancelled do not open yeah after comments he made on a dark side of the ring nearly two years ago now as of the recording yeah. of this so i'm sure there's a lot of people who probably won't even listen to this episode or there's people who are listening up until this point with brows furrowed and arms firmly folded mm-hmm. about how i'm able to lash praise upon this guy i'm trying to in my own way thread the needle of explaining what my fandom was exactly versus where he's at now mm-hmm. because I don't think I've seen a rapid depletion of goodwill for a guy who, generally speaking, people are like, ah, oh, yeah, he always seemed like a pretty good guy. Yeah. To now it, it's like, ah, oh, he always seemed like a piece of shit, this guy. Mm. So I think it's worth mentioning that we will be talking about yep. the comments he made and hopefully providing some much needed context. Not, oh, he said it because it was edited that way. Just here's the backstory. Here's the backdrop to where he found himself in the wrestling industry mm-hmm. and why maybe the whole toxic label didn't go away in the 90s like many of the crop of wrestlers would have you believe yeah i think a lot of the toxic elements of wrestling have been around long since past the 80s and 70s when they'd have you believe it was the wild west yeah but i was interested about you and tommy because you said to me so many times you love like for lack of a better term, pathetic dad characters, <laughs> you know, and that's something you're always, not just wrestling, mm. I'd say all of media, if there's kind of a downtrodden type of a guy, yeah, you're always drawn to him like moth to flame. Yeah, fair. But Tommy very much feels like you had to have your professional hat on while uh, taking on board his stuff. Is it because he was someone that was cancelled essentially before you got to know him on a, on a career level? Before the Dark Side of the Ring episode, I thought he was boring. It was very bland. I didn't really get his appeal. Yeah. He just seemed like, I don't know. Like, honestly, he reminded me of, there was an era of video games when we were like teenagers to mid, like in our mid twenties, where every video game had a white guy with brown hair as the protagonist. I'm just imagining Max Payne in my head. Yeah, right? Max Payne, <laughs> or like literally swap him in for any other protagonist from that time, and they're if all. If you the same. take the glasses off Gordon Freeman, he's just Tommy Dreamer in a hazmat <laughs> suit, isn't he? Uh... And that's kind of how, yeah, I see Tommy Dreamer is that he's kind of like this boring self-insert for for white guys, yeah, which is fine. I don't ever expect to be able to relate to every single experience on earth. Like, of course, there's going to be loads of people I can't relate to on an individual experience. That's fine. I don't care. I was wondering, though, forgive me, this is an awful fucking question. Strike it from the record. But, like, you grew up. Yeah. You know, as a teen in the the early 90s. Yeah. And you were surrounded by, you know, eager to impress young men. You mentioned in the past that there was some backyard wrestling at a point or another. Does Tommy Dreamer give you any sort of a hit of nostalgia for the way boys were? (laughs) Like, for lack of a better term? It's kind of at odds of the type of guys I knew because all of the guys who I knew who were confident and would get into scraps and stuff were kind of like desperate to start fights all the time. There were stupid idiots who were just like wanted to get beaten up because 
probably probably in hindsight because they loved wrestling. Yeah, I, I think he is. A, the reason I asked you that is because I think he's a little bit of a one man time capsule. Yeah. Like if someone really because we looked at other people like say Sabu or Sandman and Rob, you know, Rob Van Dam or even Heyman, and I wouldn't necessarily say one of those people. You could just say them. They're ECW. That tells you everything you need to know about ECW. Good, bad, and indifferent. Because yeah. I feel a lot of them linked into various different aspects mm. of that brand. Where with Sandman, it's the idea of, you know, kind of style over substance, having a character and a mystique, or Sabu of being like innovative, actual wrestling ability yeah. using weapons. Whereas Tommy, he's a bit of a jack of all trades. You know, he is a very competent wrestler. Mm. He styled himself as an innovator of violence. The idea being that if you watch one of his matches, you're going to see like weapons get used in a cool new way or whatever it is. Is that not just ECW full stop? It is. You know, and that's and we had a lot of people tweeting us kind of going, uh, can you expand upon that innovator of violence name? Because I yeah. feel like a lot of people were doing very similar things. And I'd honestly struggled to come up with a spot that he he alone came up with and perfected in terms of use of a weapon. But he was kind of like, as advertised, this is what ECW's about. You'll you'll get a sense of it with Tommy. How would they communicate that to the fans though? Because I'm getting, I, ha- I hardly imagine that Paul Heyman was like, and this this is Tommy Dreamer, and he's gonna be the the picture, the face of ECW. Like he wouldn't tell you that. Well, having trousers and a T-shirt that say ECW—that's literally on it, all it takes. Be. Also, as well. Because again, sorry to interrupt, but like, as a modern wrestling fan, every fucking wrestler wears the fucking logo on their T-shirt. Like, <laughs> their own T-shirts, like yeah. come out with a big box they got from One Hour Teams, throw them to the audience. Like, yeah, but like it's a write-off. A bunch of them just wear T-shirts with like the WWE logo on. Yeah. So for me, that's not like, or maybe I guess you could take that even a step further and say that the implied values of WWE now are communicated <laughs> across all performers, which is actually yeah. true. The little property of Performance Center NXT shirts they had. I mean, right, Tommy, yes, it was written on him, literally, but also in his match, the big spots in his match, you know, he'd always do the, the dropkick in the corner with like a chair or something and he'd scream, ECW, and get the crowd. Like like Hacksaw Jim Duggan would go, USA! Yeah. And the crowd would all start chanting it. You know, before he'd do like big, big moments, he'd literally just scream, you know, ECW. And no one else really did that? N- not really, no. I mean, he'd get into the crowd. Like, Sandman wouldn't go, ECW. Then he wouldn't do yeah, that. Rob Van Dam just Rob, like Rob Van Dam. Yeah, Sabu wouldn't. Taz sure as shit wouldn't. Yeah. You know, Tommy would go into the crowd and literally lead them in chants of ECW. You know? What about Balls Mahoney? No, nah, he'd go Balls. Balls. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it, mm. you know? And I think the, he's kind of in some respects, he could be viewed as a little bit of a mascot in that way, yeah. you know? And it's very easy for the fans to, to rally towards that figure when it's like, hey, the guy in the ECW t-shirt who's covered in blood is in the crowd, stood next to us chanting the name of the promotion that we like. Mm. And we kind of wish we were him a little bit because you see Tommy go, I could, I, could, I could jump in there and use the cheese grater, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, before he was the innovator of violence and Tommy Dreamer from Philadelphia, he was Tom Lachlan, the man from Yonkers, New York. And I was very, very happy to find out that, Joe, this was your the debut of Yonkers for you. You'd not heard Yonkers before. Nope. When I first heard it, I thought it was referring to like a silly wrestling show name. <laughs> Yonkers Madness and Ghouls. Yeah. Coming to you this Sunday from yeah. the Hammerstein Ballroom. Yonkers Wrestling. Yonkers is fucking primo name of a town it's a good name absolutely love that he was 
a little bit of a super fan growing up and he became a wrestling fan in the nicest way possible where he was actually a baseball fan the game got snowed out so they started showing wrestling from madison square gardens the wwwf which is vince's dad's promotion he ran and he immediately fell in love and the person he fell in love with a young man who i'm sure is going to go far in this great sport bob backland ladies and gentlemen and then Bob Backlund. Have you seen any of Bob? Yes, I have seen Bob. He has shown up a fair few times in like current wrestling, but also classic wrestling as well. <laughs> so yeah, the fact that you know him equally as being one of Bret Hart's greatest foes, but also Darren Young's former manager. Yeah, that's mainly what I know him as, <laughs> to be honest. So Tommy, of course, has to have the absolute seed, the germ, the nut of the wrestling superfan inside of him. And the very relatable story of falling in love with Bob Backlund, going to see his first wrestling show, and the tragedy that ensued. Did it, uh, did it grip you, Joe? Did it grip me? I mean, I guess you've not really ever been the fan at a show with a sign hoping that someone's going to give you an autograph. No. Um, it I felt relatable, though. I think most wrestlers have a, an experience like this. It was very cute. So basically, he fell in love with Bob Backlund, went to one of his shows and brought a special custom sign, which apparently signs weren't really a thing back then. Yeah, even when Tommy made one because he said it was just a piece of A4 refill pad. Like, so... Wow, A tragic little piece of... Was that your homework you're holding up, little boy? What is that? (laughs) (laughs) And I can't remember what happened, but he said that he and Bob had some kind of special moment, a connection. Um, I guess you could call it that. He got a high five from him in the Oh, in the that was aisle. it, yeah. And then he was like, can you sign my poster? Bob Backlund's like, yeah, 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 sure. Just just uh, hang out after the show and, and wait for me outside and I'll, and I'll see you there. And apparently it was like February. It was really cold. It was sleeting. That damn Yonkers weather. Yeah. And Tommy was like, uh, he was embarrassed by his dad being there. He thought he'd embarrass him in front of Bob Backlund. <laughs> So it was like, win the card, dad. Imagine, imagine that arrest would be like, hang on, let me just send that. Wait a minute, who's that? Is that your dad? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you ever come back to this town. <laughs> You'll never make it in this business with a dad. Excuse me, that young boy is uncredentialed. Can we get him removed from the arena, please? Thank you. So he waits outside in the sleet for hours, waiting for Bob Backlund to come out. And he finally does. And he's like, hey, hey, can I can I have you sign my sign? And Bob Atkins like, ah, catch you next time, buddy. And he's like, no, but but we had that moment and you, you said you'd sign it and I've been waiting for hours. He's like, next time, see ya. Tommy Dreamer, he didn't even get the autograph from Bob Backland. 10 hours in snow, ice and sleet. He waited miserably with a tear in his eye. <laughs> it's, just, it's just this like tragedy like yeah and he told the story in this retrospective we found of his career that the fight network did and he's like oh it's okay though because 30 years later i told bob the story and he uh he sent me an autographed picture in the mail i'm like that's, he found out who i was that's like worse yeah, you made an worse. old man feel sad that's yeah. worse than a young boy feeling sad is it i don't know that don't make me think about that but yeah apparently he hated bot backland <laughs> then and it was like he went from like one extreme to the other because apparently he was obsessed with bot backland before this event and then afterwards he was like absolutely despised him he started watching out of spite other wrestling from other territories that's what you did bob backland you killed the town and he starts watching florida championship wrestling and the guy who absolutely draws him in makes his eyes glued to the screen the american dream doth to Rhodes. he says i saw god on earth 
when he describes seeing Dusty for the first time. Can you get it? You've done the Dusty episodes. Yeah. Can you get into that mindset of someone seeing Dusty Rhodes and thinking, that's God, Daddy? <laughs> yeah, I can kind of see it. I feel Tommy's at a level of super fandom that like, even I can't understand. <laughs> and I feel my fandom is like objectively a strange thing at the best of times. I feel like, in a way, Dusty is to Tommy what Tommy is to a lot of fans. Yeah, his... Things like his charisma and his magnetism, like overcompensated, where like for someone who might go like, oh well, look at him, he's not got a you know bodybuilder's yeah. body or whatever it is, and he's pretty hardcore as well. Like oh, he's yeah. always busting himself open and using weapons and stuff. I think it's funny because you know the last thing that I as a as a teen when I was watching my bits of ECW on old VHS tapes, that my brother's friends had sourced. The last thing in the world that I would have assumed that they'd be inspired by would be. Rick Flair and Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. That's old. That's NWCW. Old and for babies. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually, well, you know, you want to talk about hardcore back mm-hmm. in the 70s and the 80s. It was Dusty Rhodes. It was Terry Funk. It was Rick Flair. We've done apps on them all. And those lads bled buckets yeah. long before it was edgy to do so. And I think it's really, yeah, the shared vision, I think, that Heyman and Dreamer had. I think a lot of that is channeled through their love of Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. You know, that's a huge, huge part of it. So his early, early days in the business, this handsome young fellow from Yonkers wants to make a debut, wants to get involved in the wrestling business, but there is no real obvious way to do it. Yeah. He goes to like a casting call for like wrestlers. He sees an advert in a newspaper for tough guys. Yeah, and it's for a movie. It's casting for a movie, and he's like, I don't know how old he is at this point, but the fact that he's like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough guy, or I can pretend to be at least. Yeah. You know? So he he goes up to this uh to this casting call, and among the tough guys there was a wrestler that he recognized. Yeah, Rocky Johnson. That's the Rock's dad. That's the Rock's dad, yeah. right? And so he asks him for advice on like, you know, how do I become a wrestler? Because wasn't something that was like yeah there wasn't really information about it it was you know especially back then when it was like kind of the kayfabe yes. side was completely secretive this and a, pre-information age yeah. as well i always think of bubba ray dudley you know telling the story where he literally rang up wwf and he was like hello i'd like to be a wrestler I'm like okay well you have to like make a tape and get trained all right okay <laughs> And uh, is it real? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I can't tell you, sweet. Is your is do you have your parents' permission to make this call? You need your parents' permission to become a wrestler now. You know that, okay? <laughs> and that's something I wish more wrestlers would talk about when they first get into the business. Is at what point they found out it was real or fake? Yeah. Um, and he doesn't really talk about that here. So I, I'm guessing he kind of figured it out quite soon. Well, he he gets trained by he gets sent over to a lad called Johnny Rods, who would have been like a guy he's trained whole bunch of names from the kind of New York or the greater New York area, like the Dudleys, like Taz, for instance. So he's like, a re- Johnny Rods is a really, really well-known, respected name. Right. But this is like 88, 89, when he would have been trained and debuted. And I think at that point, you would know, because this is after Vince McMahon has, you know, done his expansion and basically said on TV, hey, you know, it's wink, wink, it's a show. Right. So I don't think he's part of that era where, you know, like a Roddy Piper, where it's like, I'm wrestling my first match. Yeah. Uh, hope, uh, is it real? I don't know. Hope find, I don't die. I'll find out maybe at some point in the next year or so. But I do believe that Tommy is definitely part of that generation. The one kind of between the modern guys 
or the modern sensibilities and the old style shh don't tell anyone or I'll stab you mm. have you got your knife in your boot to stab someone if you tell them by mistake oh no I've got my gun good 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 that's all very very yeah. good he's in between those eras the, the era that kind of looks up to that <laughs> nail in the boot yeah. time where it's like I want to keep it quiet and keep it secret to earn the respect of the people who inspired me mm. and I feel like that's somewhat hearts in the right place and I think in retrospect, those people have ended up coming across in modern times as more dinosaur-like than the people they were idolizing. Right. You know, I, I find that the people with the most dinosaur opinions often in wrestling now are the guys kind of from the 80s and 90s, not the guys from the 70s or 60s were mm. back in the day. But yeah, I was wondering if that kind of level of secrecy in your mind, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, like... Should it be super hard to actually find out how to get into the secret club of wrestling? No, I think I think there's a difference between going around and being like, hey, we're doing, you know, wrestling classes and you'll learn how to choreograph a match. Like, maybe that's the stuff that should be kept a bit more secretive until you're mm. in the business. But like, I think, you know, how to become a wrestler, I feel should be left kind of ambiguous because there's, you know, amateur wrestling, which is real. Yeah. Like, it's genuine... And a lot of guys come in through professional wrestling via amateur wrestling. Yeah, I think, you know, the fact that you can go in and give someone, you know, a down payment and spend a week taking bumps and realising the wrestling business is a lot tougher than maybe you thought it was yeah. and leaving. You don't have to give them all the fucking secret. I think there can be tears to it. Definitely, yeah. You, know, you can maybe keep some of the, the great inner levels of psychology. Because, I mean, I've been watching wrestling for nearly fucking over 25 years and, yeah. like... Even I know there's stuff that I don't know, but also there's stuff I don't want to know. Yeah. Like I hear like the real minute details of certain spots and stuff these days. I'm like, I don't know if I, like I found out the other day about, you know, Taz, when he went through the ring with Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh yeah. Exactly how they did that. Oh right. With the trap door. Yeah, the trap door yeah. and a piece of tape. So he, and I'm like, that's great, but I kind of rather just just stupidly like an idiot being like you're the bearer put him through the ring brother oh i'm the opposite i love to know all the secrets i i do i mean i'm not gonna lie when i do find out it's kind of like ooh, you know mm. secret forbidden knowledge but yeah, i agree that it's not like something you should just be giving away because it's gonna ruin the magic for a lot of people yeah so tommy gets trained by johnny rods in new york and he's an emotional young man is all i can say because when he's recounting the story of like his first match he immediately breaks into tears in this retrospective we watched. Yeah. Balls his eyes out. It's kind of funny, actually, because he's got this terrible fake tan on his face and nowhere else. This is like 45 minute long, this this retrospective, two parts. And within five, he's bawling. And the streaks from his makeup, like just the tears just wash it away. And he's got these lines down his cheeks. It's so funny. I will say, when we were watching it and he started crying because he's like, and everyone's there. No one was sick. And they all came. And so, you know what? We, we've rarely heard stories about, like, wrestlers' families actually showing up. I forget who it was. There was someone we did. I think it was like Edge or someone. They're like, yeah, my mum, like, never saw me wrestle until, like, Aww. you know, way, way, way down the line. Yeah. And, like, Tommy just be like, my whole extended family. Like, like 50 people yeah, they're, showed they're up to his first there. match. And, he's, and, he's, and you were... I, I don't mean to always be screen watching, you know, when, when, what's here, but you were like really taken in by sweet Tommy tearing up talking about this. And I was like, well, I hope she feels this way the 20th time she sees him cry because <laughs> I don't know if you know, as Tommy can access those tears like that, 
I don't know whether it's willingly or unwillingly. Oh, it's but... unwillingly. It's 100% unwillingly because there's a moment we, we watched, I can't remember what it was for, where he tries to make himself cry in ECW and he doesn't work. Yeah. So it's something that he's, I don't think he can act very well. But he does cry very easily. He's like the Big Show, I think. Yeah, he can, he can wear... I don't know, Big Show, I feel, can turn, oh, he it, can on, turn it on. Crank it up, turn on them yeah. tears whenever he wants to. But I think Tommy is just... He just feels things very strongly. He wears his heart on his sleeve. Yeah. You know, and the heart says ECW on it as yeah. well, so you know which heart it belongs to. <laughs> so in the early 90s, where he was working as, and I quote, a prototypical jacked-up Guido babyface... <laughs> We've heard this before, though. You know, guys who kind of make their name on the indies by having someone they do matches with. Mm. And it's like, hey, you don't just book me, you book me, and the other guy will go to your show, we'll do the little match, you know. And it's him and Taz. And there's something about seeing these pictures and these clips of young Tommy Dreamer who's wearing these goofy fucking suspenders with his sparkly jacket and his winning smile and the Tasmaniac. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a lifetime away from what you know these guys to be, I guess. What do you think to the young, jacked-up Guido babyface, Tommy Dreamer? He's not what I would consider a Guido. I feel the definition must have changed in my lifetime. <laughs> because when I think of Guido, I think of like... Jersey um, Shore. Jersey Shore, yeah. yeah. But he doesn't look like that at all. He just looks like a yeah handsome young man. He's, handsome, tanned yeah. Italian man. Doesn't, I mean, maybe the, he, he's old and Guido in, in that sense of the word, I yeah. guess. You know? he, yeah, he just looks very, very sparkly with his jacket. But yeah. He's so funny. I, like, I absolutely... I adore it because it's like what you think the audience wants to see. Mm. And I don't think he was going to make much inroads as Tommy Dreamer, the man in the suspenders. Because I feel like there was a dime a dozen people like that in the early 90s yeah you know handsome young man or whatever but he gets himself into ecw originally via taz and this is such a paul Heyman story so tommy's just brought in to wrestle the taz maniac the taz maniac just you know squashes him or whatever tommy the the handsome young man in suspenders gets his ass beaten by the the savage taz maniac and then he gets a call from paul Heyman. he says i need you to come into the studio tommy and what unfolds is Something of a masterclass in low-level manipulation. <laughs> yeah, so Heyman has this tape from his match and he uh, he makes him watch it back like a few times and he's like, look, look at these people. Do you see them in the front row? They give you a standing ovation. There's four of them, by the way. There's four people. Four people in the shitty, dingy arena with like yeah. 200 in it. And Heyman's like, I can do something with you. And uh, uses this as like a motivational thing to be like, yeah, people believe in you, and you're gonna be, you're gonna be great, kid, and I'm, I'm gonna make you a star. The eyes getting big in Tommy's head as he's even telling the story of him being unwittingly brainwashed. Yeah. But man, there's nothing more powerful than someone saying, "I believe." And not just I, but they do too. Oh but my them, God. And, and I'm showing you right now. Because it's true. They obviously, you know, it is only four people, but that's that's something. He's right. And I don't think Paul is doing it in a malicious no. way whatsoever. I just think it's so sweet, the idea of this lad sitting watching this dingy wrestling show. And I mean, like we watched some of those early Eastern Championship wrestling clips. It's fucking grim. Yeah. It's like, a, you feel like when you watch one of these matches that one of the wrestlers is going to come and kill you in seven days. <laughs> unless you rate it on cage Crawl matches. Crawl out of the screen. Yeah. Oh my God, why is he a surfer? <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, Paul seeing four people stood up and thinking 
I can build my promotion around this. Yeah. Because he tells Tommy that he has this vision in mind, which is ECW in kayfabe is being kind of taken over slowly by all these malevolent forces. You've got Shane Douglas and the Pitbulls. You've got these really nasty guys, the public enemy, these like thugs who are just coming in and they're beating everyone up. They don't care about the fans or anything. So here's this pure white meat baby face, baby blue eyes, Tommy Dreamer. And damn it, only four people believe in him. And you have the announcer going, Tommy, stay down. Tommy, no. Like we will build the story that this promotion isn't just blood and guts. There's a heart in here. There's a soul. And his name is Tommy Dreamer. And somewhere right now, Tommy Dreamer is crying just because of the ripple effects of that being said. But being told that someone's going to build a whole promotion around you. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, yeah, what that would feel like. Most wrestlers would develop something of the super ego at that point, right? The only other person I can think of who that's happened with is Hulk Hogan. (laughs) You see them, pal? There's 40,000 people stood up. And they believe. I mean, in you. you're doing Vince. I was meaning WCW, Eric Bischoff. But I mean, you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Happened twice. You see these ten thousand people all throwing <laughs> trash at you. They don't believe in you, and I believe in them not believing in you. I don't know, brother. I'm gonna need a lot more zeros to make that work. But yeah, um, the idea of a wrestler and a promotion together finding kind of redemption through each other—that's mm. pretty fucking meta. You know, I like that a lot. Do you think Heyman was going to do this anyway with someone? And he was just like, I wonder who would be best to fit this role. Because I, I think Paul Heyman's a storyteller at heart. Yeah. He loves TV and movies and stuff. But he's a people reader first and foremost. Like, he knows what he's getting with certain people. And I don't think he'd do this with just anyone. I think he sees a certain something in Tommy. Right. Yes, the the belief the, that the fans may have in him. The, the blank slate, as it were, which you could print your entire canvas or your protagonist that you want to view him through your own eyes or whatever it is but i do think as well and i again i don't think it was necessarily done malevolently but it definitely came out that way at points i think that he knew that he could control tommy mm. well because i think yeah tommy's a bit of a people pleaser i think there is a bit in beyond the mass the movie where you cut to paul Heyman in you know booking one of his shows in his mom's basement and he's literally sat there with tommy just doing a promo and he's like we're gonna play a game of truth or consequences and this is like tommy like four or five years into this run and he's literally stood completely stoic like glued to Heyman, like mm. yeah tell me tell me tell me because i think that you know Heyman likes someone viewing him as a genius that yeah. he is tommy is that yeah i think that it's it's a symbiotic relationship as it is parasitic in many ways yeah you know i think they got a lot out of each other um it's been said that Paul Heyman, and like most bookers, kind of had his certain wrestlers who he like booked himself as. Vince McMahon viewed himself as being Stone Cold Steve Austin, I hear. Definitely Stone Cold, the rebel, the the, the southerner that he just want to tell you about. Yeah. Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Mm -hmm. Probably the likes of Hulk Hogan and Lex Luger as well, Mm -hmm. the big muscle up good guy. But Heyman viewed himself as being Dreamer and also being another guy called Raven, who I guess, you know, that's another episode down the line as well. So I guess the story of ECW isn't completely told. (laughs) But yeah, um, the main. The main way that we were going to build up this story of redemption of the pretty boy becoming hardcore is through the Sandman. And we did talk about this in the Sandman episode. The Singapore caning incident where Tommy took, I think it was like 12 or 13 cane shots Mm. in a row 
audience are in tears. That's not just hyperbole. You can hear them wailing or whatever. This had quite the impact on our illustrator, Dan. It did. Tell me about Dan and Tommy Dreamer, because I don't think I've ever heard of something clicking quite as quickly. I'm learning the more we do episodes, what to tell and what not to tell to Dan in terms of the subject matter. And with Tommy, I was really careful to only tell them stuff that made Tommy seem the way we wanted the artwork to look. So I didn't lie. I didn't make anything up. But I just obfuscated obfuscated the truth slightly didn't didn't tell dan about the dark side of the ring stuff the comments i don't think dan is not a wrestling fan would probably get the context of that i think i think i think dan would yeah Yeah, i mean yeah yeah. a little bit of context is all you need to understand you don't say stuff like that actually Don't don't, don't say that but i didn't didn't tell dan any of that i just i kind of let you lead and i sent them a bunch of pictures so you sent them the uh the caning and i sent them a bunch of pictures of uh of, of tommy dreamer like covered in blood and stuff like that and and for whatever reason yeah really struck a chord and is that is that again now like me kind of we were talking earlier about the, the kind of you can he's a very um blank slate kind of protagonist you think like i, I don't know what dan's necessarily his exact reaction was mm. but he empathised at the very least with the man getting caned and then being like, thank you, sir, may I have another? I don't know. I can't speak on, yeah. on his behalf. But it made an impression. It definitely made an impression. I don't think Dan sees Tommy as like a self-insert for him. Yeah. But I think there is something kind of unique and relatable about him doing the whole, receiving the lashes and then being like, more. You were saying it reminded you of a movie. When we were watch- we watched it back. Yeah, and I haven't been able to put my finger on what it is. I think it's some kind of kids movie. I thought it was Rocky because you know. I mean, I mean, it's definitely Rocky. Surprise, surprise! Philadelphia-based wrestling promotion in the nineties, yeah. like all wrestling storylines in the nineties onwards, heavily influenced by you know the first great sports drama. But you no, know, stay down, Rock. I mean, Tommy. <laughs> for me, it definitely reminded me of something else because this is before. It reminded me of something I'd seen before Rocky. <laughs> you were saying of of mice and men, wasn't it? It could well be of mice and men. Just the idea of someone not knowing now's the time to quit. Yeah, and everyone you know? else saying stay down or else you'll make it way worse. Yeah, everyone telling you it's bad, but then actually when you survive all the way through, we're actually like that's actually good. Yeah, and Be- cool. It's cool. And Tommy gets bust up bad with that Singapore cane being. Yeah. That's like one of the worst I've seen. Like, not since Seamus' Instagram after like a particularly rough house match. But Tommy's as fucking tanned as they can get. Like, yeah. you know, not even all those hours in the tanning bed could obscure. <laughs> like, his back is bleeding. There's a point when he gets hit with the stick. He gets hit in the ear and it gets wrapped around yeah. and smacks him in the lip. Yeah. He said in this uh, little doc that we watched about the... Um, how they gimmick the Singapore cane. Mm. I didn't know this. No, I didn't know this either. They cut... There's like wires that tie the bamboo together. Yeah. And you can tighten and untighten you can it. Tighten them or you can cut them. Yeah. So if they're all tightened up and they're all there... It doesn't hurt? No, no, it hurts Oh, it hurts loads more. Right. When you loosen it or get rid of some of the I wires. I thought you said it was the other way around because you said when you hit someone with a kendo stick... The bamboos kind of opens up. No, they, yeah. they close and they pinch you. Yeah, that's what he was. I thought that's what he was saying, so that you can tighten it a bit, but you don't want to tighten it too much because then it just becomes like a piece of wood, basically. Yeah, I, I think this was basically the days before they knew how to safely gimmick the Singapore cane that they saw about in the news. Yeah, and maybe they didn't want to as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely. This was 
one of those oh it, it looks better to uh to kind of lay it in and it'd be yeah, too much you got the welts and stuff although there is literally a point where he, he goes dude that's enough <laughs> like where he's yeah. like stop which is a far cry from the story in the original ecw documentary WWE did where he was like and then adrenaline kicked in i was like it didn't matter what you do man you could hit me a thousand times doesn't matter. <laughs> and literally like short fortune and he's like brother like, grabs him like stop, stop like that's have enough to stop and someone's like i'm sorry <laughs> i got carried away tommy i'm sorry <laughs> So it, this is the point where, in his mind and in Paul's mind, the fans accept him. And mm. you literally have the announcer going, he's hardcore. Say what you will about him. He's hardcore. So even though he's lost a match that meant that he had to be caned, the fact that he took that shit and he fucking... I mean, I always thought an English person, stiff upper lip being your country's motto, you'd understand the, uh, the apparent inherent value of taking a load of shit and just smiling and bearing it. Yeah, yeah, that's... Part of it's in our national anthem, I think. I think perhaps it is something that a younger generation might struggle to see the immediate drama or value in. Mm, how so? Because this whole kind of you gotta like to eat the taste of shit yeah. and eat plates and plates and plates of it and get hit over and over and over again. Yeah. No matter how hard you get hit, you just keep getting hit hard and accept it because that's life. Yeah, I think these days the younger generations are aware that that's not necessary. <laughs> and they're like, well, why would I put up with that when you shouldn't be doing it in the first place? Like, grow up, basically. Yeah. Stop beating everyone. <laughs> so there is a long-term vision with Tommy Dreamer. And now that he's hardcore, it involves... A three-year-long feud with a man who will be known as his arch-rival. A man who Tommy claims his rivalry with is on par with Stone Cold versus Vince McMahon. It was Raven. Now, Raven is absolutely one of my all-time faves. Mm. A very uh, cerebral, mysterious, angsty character. Yeah. I was wondering what you thought of this storyline with regards to the two friends at camp. It's a nice kind of idea when you say it like that yeah oh two kids at camp that's nice and sweet Un- unexpectedly sweet at ecw actually that must be something we are not mentioning here like maybe some horrible cruelty towards young girls perhaps well, what what is right is that back in the day in kayfabe mm. tommy and raven were both at camp yeah. and tommy was the you know the, the jock, jock yeah and raven was the kind of slight oddball misfit stoner outcast yeah. and he was coming back with all the freaks and geeks from tommy's past like to fuck Seth him over. rogan and stuff yeah <laughs> james franco <laughs> 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 oh come on they'd have fit right in yeah, I know, sharing war stories yeah they yeah. try to cancel me too brother yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you bring in characters like the blue meanie and stevie richards these you know the, the crazy creeps you know who'd eat worms from from camp and also, there was the fat girl who had the crush on you, Tommy, that you made fun of. <laughs> is a girl, and she's fat. But not anymore. She's the penthouse play pet of the month, Beulah McGillicuddy. Wow, God. Take that, and, Tommy. Oh, wow. So Tommy beats her up. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot. I will say that with like almost all of Tommy's feuds during ECW, old and new, and it was a big thing that they did in ECW where it was like, you got to pile drive the woman, Tommy. You, mm-hmm. you got to like get that woman up, pile drive her until her skirt falls down. You can see yeah. her underwear. Yeah. And the fans go fucking crazy for, ah, he hit a woman. Yeah. It, like, we're at the point in 2023 where I do remember when Baron Corbin did the end of days on Becky. Yeah, it was awesome. 
uh, yeah, I, I remember you were very outspoken on the on our pay per view review and on on Twitter about like, hey, this is a good thing. You could actually have the guys and girls mix it up or whatever. Yeah, it's showing that you consider them equals. Whereas like ECW is this weird thing where it's like, oh yeah, the men will hit the women, but like yeah. for the kind of like the hey, like the kind of like the, the comedy pop, like Bobby Heenan's been sent to the back because he's been caught with a hammer. Way mm. Beulah has been pile driven onto a chair because. She's a woman who scorned Tommy. Like, it's not like a serious thing. It's like a, it's a silly thing almost. Or an over-the-top ballsy bravado thing. Which kind of leads me back around to this whole thing of like people identifying and relating to Tommy. Because like, yeah, you mentioned bravado earlier on as being like the core values of Tommy and ECW. But it's like... Well, only in ECW had they the balls to put women through tables, dude. Well, that's it. It's, as a woman, it kind of concerns me then that the thought of a lot of men were looking at Tommy Dreamer, who is, let's be clear, booked as a baby face oh, yeah. throughout this. I'm the most purest of pure, yeah. I'm for you guys in the audience, yeah, baby I, face. I'm putting this woman through a table for you because I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. Let's be that clear. Dude. And people were watching that and going, yeah, I'm like him. I can't wait to be like, I'm going to be like him when I grow up. I'm going to put women through tables. I'm going to hit women. I'm going to abuse women. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's it's definitely part of the ECW canon that is really fucked. Yep. And uh, Tommy is, you know, Tommy and Sandman were, like, Sandman were almost always Kane some lady or whatever it was. But I think in terms of chief offender number one, Tommy was the guy whether it was Beulah or Francine or Dawn or Tammy, whoever mm-hmm. it was, if you were the the, the reprehensible woman, i.e. the woman, yeah. you were you were going to get the big spot with Tommy. And I also hate the whole, oh, Beulah was fat at camp storyline. I just, it's really shit. And especially because this is a time in wrestling where, you know, there are loads of fat guys in wrestling. I don't mind that. I like that. But there's no fat women in wrestling. Even to this day, there's so few fat women in wrestling. Yeah, it's, you have to kind of go to Japan in the past, really, to see a lot of that. Yeah, you know? and it's just shit that we have still this double standard of like, oh, if you're a woman, the worst thing you can be is fat. And it's just fucking awful. And I hate it, especially because like Tommy talks about this storyline with like oh, big, man. big eyes. Like, oh, it's the best thing I ever did. He has daughters like who they... will be around 16 years old now does he not realize the pressure women have on themselves especially if they hear their own father who is a celebrity talk about this stuff like it's just awful like the bit he recounts where you know i, I pile drove beulah and then i you know hit the, the the raven pose and tilted my head back and the entire audience all just start in one chanting ECW and cheering for me and I come backstage and Paul Heyman gives me a father's embrace and he said you did it you're over you'll always be over now it's it's like this mythical status he's given oh, us I hate it. and it's like yeah okay I accept that it's part of the grand scheme of the journey of Tommy Dreamer and he's gotten over but let's not deny the fact that it was a room of like 500 lads going, fuck yes, and would finally hit that woman. Like, it is like really gross. I just, I hate that like, if you're a girl watching ECW at the time, like, okay, boys get this self-insert character of Tommy Dreamer, the the cool hero who always gets back up on his feet when he's knocked down. Idolising this guy hitting women. And what do women have to look up to? No one. Well, it, it ain't it ain't for the women, apparently. This ECW no. show, because God forbid, if you're a fat woman watching this. I mean, yeah, this this is probably the show where 
there is an expectation bordering on a demand that you not be a woman if you watch it. No, because if you're a woman, I'll fucking hit you. Yeah, it, it's funny because it's like, compare that to like some of the other, you know, we watch like a wrestling show from the 80s and there'll be like the, the dreamboat tag teams that are in there for the ladies. Like there's very much like, this this act is for the women yeah. and the men as well. But mm-hmm. none of the acts that are for the women are exclusionary. You yeah. know, like Kerry Von Erich is for the women in yeah. many respects of the shows he's on. But for the guys as well. And yeah, the other thing that bothers me is because, yeah, as you say, you could kind of compare it to uh, End of Days with Becky Lynch. But I think a big difference with ECW at this time is that the women were not booked as wrestlers. And not to say there weren't wrestlers. We yeah, did have wrestlers. Yeah, yeah. Luna Vachon was wrestling in ECW. Jazz was as well. Yeah, yeah, they were booked as legitimate fighters. But the women who were always put through tables weren't wrestlers. Yes, yeah, They were the, ex-strippers. Yeah, the valets. Who had the only fights they were ever involved in are disgusting, fetishized. Cat, literally, they're called cat fights where yeah. they're just scratching each other and tearing each other's clothes off i wouldn't mind if someone like luna was being put through a table because she's a fucking wrestler she can handle it she probably the put idea someone else through is, a table yeah that she'll point. put you yeah. through a table doing it to like beulah who's like I don't, I don't know what her career was before she got into wrestling but i she, i doubt she was a wrestler well she was a penthouse she was right she was an a model model yeah there's hardly any idea that she can fight back and i think that's part of the whole like <laughs> that's why we like it boys well i think you know Paul Heyman's genius, in inverted commas, is as much as his ability to be the finger on the pulse. Yeah. I'm not excusing No, it, no, no. I totally what, get what you mean. Like, you, you turn onto any other channel at the time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> re- you know, reality TV wasn't a thing, but there was an absolute thick vein of anti-woman, yeah. uh, often violent, like Jerry Springer, you would see mm-hmm. it. You know, and it continued way past the 90s. Well past its sell-by date. Yeah. You know, but that was like... You know, I think it's interesting that you mention people like like Luna or whatever because Heyman was presenting the audience as as niche as niche could be in terms of wrestling audience, but he presented them all these different things mm. and the things that they popped for and reacted for. It wasn't like, hey, Luna's going to have a match with like a Stevie Richards and show you that you know, a woman can be tough in, in, in a wrestling ring. Yeah. Yeah, they, they cheer for it, but they'll fucking explode if Francine goes through a table. Yeah. Oh my God, they'll explode if... Don Marie gets pile driven and her trousers fall down or whatever it is. Yeah. And he was just, he was like a snake eating its own tail. Yeah, he was, he was giving, giving the fans what they want. What they wanted, like. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, it, um, it, it is fortunate that ECW has got so many barriers to entry to watching it in situ because of the copyright issues. And yeah, I mean, heck, a lot of the shows I, and the clips I wanted to show you were very hard to find on the network mm. because stuff is missing from there. And I think it's probably for the best for, for ECW's standing in the minds of modern fans because I think if people really went back and properly looked through... See, I, I disagree. I think it's really important to acknowledge what they did wrong. Oh, no, I'm not saying it's not important to acknowledge. I'm mm-hmm. just saying that, like, you know, if, if fans went back and you really watched it all as opposed to just the memories you have in your head, you'd probably end up feeling a bit queasy even if you don't think it's a big deal because it's that's, relentless. That's why I don't think it's good that you can't find this stuff easily anymore because then you get people like Tommy Dreamer Telling who, the story who of say, how it was, oh yeah. yeah, it was amazing, it was mm. great, it was the golden years and, you know, it's, it's really hard. time of my life, man. Really hard to prove them wrong when the clips aren't easily accessible anymore. Yeah. Oh, you had to be there. Yeah. How convenient. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. You had to be yeah. there and be a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Tommy and Beulah do get linked up together on screen. And like all great power couples in wrestling, it begins, <laughs> it started with a kiss. 
never thought it would end like this. It starts with them being paired together on camera because they do the whole thing where Ray, of course, you know, Beulah is brought in to be like Raven's girl. And then Raven starts being hurtful and abusive to Beulah. And then Tommy comes out to save her because Tommy's a good dude. And even though she was the fat girl from camp who conspired to, to, to ruin his life, he's going to save her anyway. But then they become a real life couple as well. Mm, I don't really get what's in it for her. I mean, you have spent quite a bit of time and I really appreciate you doing this. Because Lord knows I didn't think to do it. <laughs> of looking into the history of, of Beulah and Tommy. All I know is that they got together very early on. Yeah. They've been together ever since. Mm-hmm. The last, They're still together, I think. They are still together, yeah. yeah. The last I saw Beulah was when they brought Tommy back. They did the ECW relaunch in 2006. She was part of Dreamer and Funk's team against Edge, McFoley, and Lita. Right. And I, was, I thought it was like really cool. They're like, hey, like she's 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 a mom and she's coming out to kick some ass and stand by Tommy. They always do cute stuff like they'll do DDTs together and you have the announcer being like, oh, I always wish my wife would do a DDT with me. And I, there's, there is an inescapable cuteness to it. Yeah. Because in spite of its grim beginnings, they definitely had chemistry together on screen. I should also point out the probably earliest you heard of Beulah was on our Dudley Boys episode where they were talking about how they broke her neck yep. with such severity she didn't know whether to perspirate, ejaculate, or what, you, you, you know. You get the idea. You get the idea. Mm-hmm. But you had a little look into Tommy and Beulah. What yeah. did you find, my dear? So, first of all, I wanted to find out how they met. And they met at a hotel lobby uh, where they were staying at for an ECW show. Uh-huh. He He says in his words, me being Tommy Dreamer, I checked her out. Nice. Uh, but then he decided, eh, she's not that bad, but, you know, not great. You know, I, I can do better because I'm Tommy Dreamer. Nice. So I don't know if you've seen, but I'm a, an average looking white guy. Nice. So I can pretty much get whatever babe I want. <laughs> yeah, not this run of the mill. Supermodel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not this, not this penthouse playmate of the month. Yeah. They don't just hand that title out, Tommy. Yeah. And apparently they they met briefly. They didn't care much for each other. It's not that they hated each other or anything. They just didn't really... Ships passing in the night. They didn't really get on that much. Didn't have anything in common. And then, yeah, as you say, they hooked up on screen for the part of a storyline and apparently got together straight away. I think there is something intangible about performing with someone yeah and it's like i met joe on this podcast i never heard i never knew you You had a thing on okay cupid saying looking for a co-host yeah that's strictly it's the Mm. new okay cupid where you just look for podcast co-hosts yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i do think like like performing together i mean i certainly think that you and i doing a podcast brought us closer together yes a hundred percent i think we were probably going to become closer together anyway yeah listener i married her (laughs) but but it does like when you have to think on your feet together and you have to kind of rely on each other Mm. and kind of think what the other person is thinking you can definitely get better at communicating yeah you can't help but get in each other's shoes a little bit like Mm -hmm. you know so uh, maybe that's part of it and also i think with them the physical nature of it and most of it as well is like, hey, even if we're playing pretend, the gimmick is that most nights I'm going to run into the ring and save you or we're going to do something cool together. Like, yeah. you know, beat up a bunch of dudes together. Like, feel like if there's any chance of romance between you, it's going to be exacerbated by stuff like that, right? I like to think that he puts across a version of himself that he wants to put across because of who he is and where he worked at the time. 
and how he makes his money, you know. He, he makes yeah. his money through being, as you say, the, the representation of the brand. Yeah. I think she probably didn't care for that. And then when they worked together, she saw what he was really like. And then was like, oh, yeah. he's actually quite a sweet guy. And, and probably you're quite creative. And, yeah. Because yeah, that's one of the things that you will see that you probably don't see as the tough wrestler from the wrestling show just comes to the after party cracking his knuckles being like, what are we doing, boys? Yeah. You know, you're probably going to see more of what's good about him when he's doing the thing that he is passionate about. Yeah, or even when you take him out of that situation away from the other boys, especially in ECW where they're all terrible influences. <laughs> more on that in a bit. I think on the whole, she probably saw a lot of good in him. Yeah. And saw the potential. So I thought that was sweet that they... They, they got together. Um, they, they, they have twin girls together as well. They do. They, yeah. they have twin daughters and uh, a dog. And it's interesting him talking about his daughters because he says in this uh, retrospective, he's like, uh, he, he calls having twin daughters karma for his <laughs> actions earlier in his life. And he tries to explain himself. He's like, you know, because it's karma because, you know, I didn't take drugs. I didn't drink, but I... And then he cuts himself off and starts he's, talking about something completely different. He's literally midway through that Bret Hart, my vice was. Yeah, dot, dot, and then dot. we never find out what it was. Yeah. I have a feeling it was girls and that he liked to have sex with many women. Or, as he has spoken about on Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast, watching other wrestlers Definitely liked that, absolutely. But I guess he can still technically do that with a family. Yeah. You know, it depends on the definitions of their agreement. Hey, it's whatever they're, they're, as long as both parties are happy and consenting, yeah. adults, what, what does it matter, you know? So... I always thought that he said that the karma line was kind of like, you know, because of all the... <laughs> All the women sexist I, stuff all yeah. the women i put through tables and pile drove over the ears but it is weird because he shows his he was saying like his daughters are at an age now where he they can watch ecw so he shows them this stuff yeah and i just hope that when he shows them this stuff he's like look like my parents when they used to show me movies and things like they showed me the rocky horror picture show and i was like four and they were like yo but yeah they they would like they would literally pause it and show me frame by frame how it's all fake like so i wouldn't get scared by anything because i would see stuff and get scared really easily by like weird yeah, stuff so yeah. they were like look it's fake we'll explain it to you and then you won't be scared by it and it worked a treat and definitely made me a weird morbid person that i am today see i think probably the more likely thing is that his daughters don't give two shits about wrestling and think it's boring probably because i think he did say as much as that they are like they know about it yeah like they don't care to watch but it's definitely wishful thinking on my part that he would say any of that stuff to his daughters but like He's obviously proud of it and he's showing them anyway. So it's just, I don't know. Complicated stuff there. I don't know if it was me. I'd be a bit more in my head about whether or not I actually decide to even show that to my kids. Well, you can can hide it, you know. It's It's, part of who you are, whether or not they're interested. I mean... If you don't feel like you can explain it eloquently enough, though, maybe you shouldn't be showing it. And I think as well the idea that, you know, you as the adult are like, look, I'm the gatekeeper. Now you can find out this thing that you could have easily found out by using the supercomputer that's in your pocket yeah. since you were 10 years old. Yeah. So probably they've done a lot of figuring themselves on that. Probably. I just, I don't know. Cause can you imagine, like, it's just impossible for you to imagine, I guess, because you're not a girl. But, like, the thought of my dad doing something like that and then me finding out about it. And that's yeah. how he treated women. That's the, Even uh, though I know it's fake and they consented to the, receiving yeah. the pile driver. I was going to say, the there's, table, there's a just... lot of wrestlers who have got non-fake allegations about that type of a thing that wasn't for a wrestling storyline yeah. tapping and into More feelings. on that in a bit. But yeah, I mean, with regards to him and Beulah, like, I know she's kind of, she stepped away from the kind of the spotlight yeah. in recent years. 
So has he has he talked much about her recently? Because I know you did a deep dive on his Twitter. I was very impressed at your uh, your findings. I did. I thought I'd look at, into actually her career, just do a brief overview of like how she got into wrestling and yeah. stuff. So she actually showed up originally in 1988 in Stampede Wrestling, what? the Heart Company really? Foundation. Yeah. Oh my god. So she briefly works in the dungeon, I believe, <laughs> which is mad. Well, of course that could mean any. Oh like, yeah. She met Bruce Hart once. Yeah, in the house. There was. A cat there give me money <laughs> and she made a one-off appearance in calgary as brian pillman's sister i cannot believe this and apparently she was actually dating pillman at the time and the reason they had <laughs> of course yeah so. the reason they had her be his sister is because like one of the hearts was like yeah it'd be really funny if because they're dating like making brother and sister would be really awkward a true a true creepish mindset yeah there. that is what just because very ignorantly, I assumed because she was someone affiliated in the adult entertainment industry and was brought into ECW, Heyman, like, you know, just found her on a, on a literally found her in a magazine and said, let's get in touch with her. Well. The background in wrestling in, in Calgary, no less. Heyman didn't discover her through Calgary. So yeah, the stuff with it with Pillman, they had her appear in the crowd to be like harassed by the heels yeah, storyline yeah. so that Pillman could get over as a face by standing up for her. Wild. So yeah, pretty effective. But yeah, no, she actually got discovered by Heyman because she was working as a backup dancer for the singer Prince. What? Yeah. God almighty. Through Prince, she met this famous baseball player. His name is Ron Gant. I don't, it means nothing to me. I don't watch baseball. But he introduced her to his close personal friend, Raven. <laughs> and then Raven introduced her to Paul Heyman. That's wow. how she got into ECW. That is absolutely not the story I thought it was. Oh, yeah, I, I know, right? You, you turned to me at one point when we were watching stuff in the midst of our hours of, of, of dreamer dreaming and you were like, we're not going to do a Buell episode. And I was like, probably. I mean, the Buell episode is the Tommy episode, I would assume, just yeah. because her time on national wrestling stage was so small mm. but i was really in- that's really interesting to know i know right she has her own roots yeah. in wrestling a more of a wrestling background that i think the ecw audience were aware of oh definitely yeah who who we prided ourselves on being so smart i know but you're fucking idiots aren't you weren't we yeah <laughs> yeah then she obviously got into ecw we know all of that stuff yeah yeah I thought I'd check up what she kind of did afterwards. Mm. Um, she actually started a writing career. I say career, that's a kind of a strong word. In 2012, she published a children's book wow. called Gertrude the Great. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be very successful. You can buy it even in England on Amazon and stuff, but yeah. it's like ebook format, which I don't think is great for kids' books when they're illustrated yeah, and stuff, yeah, like yeah. picture books. But I'm sure it's it's grand. The illustrator she got, I forget the name of her, but she's very accomplished. She's done loads of other children's books and stuff. So, you know, it's probably grand. That's like, really cool. If you feel like, if you've got, I know there's a lot of wrestlers who've written children's books. So if you are yeah. looking to expand your collection of obscure wrestler children's books. God, I need a special bibliotech special of all yeah. the uh, children's books that have been written by wrestlers. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. A couple of things when I was going through his Twitter, I found that he did this podcast. I forget it was called, like the Hardcore. How's the Hardcore? Hardcore, based right. on his promotion that he ran in, in philly yeah right and he it didn't go for very long he had a few guests and stuff here and there but on a couple of episodes bueller actually showed up and was yeah. his his guest and i didn't listen to full episodes but i listened to some clips and they had really good chemistry like proper good banter Aww. like he's a bit of an edgelord in some respects no yeah. not the guy from ecw yeah but she's really she can give as good as she gets like she does not let him 
get away with anything. I think that's the basis of a successful uh, yeah. uh, relationship, particularly in the wrestling business. Yeah, she's certainly not like the, some poor, you know, uh, frail wife who just, yes, yes, husband. I mean, so you've like, seen her wrestle, uh, you've seen her wrestle Bill Alfonso where he yeah. lost all the blood in his body. That's, that's amazing. That's a hardcore lady right yeah, there. Yeah, she is hardcore. <laughs> she, yeah, she's a very strong woman who can stand up to men. That's and also, fine. from my calculations, she would have been raising those newborn twins while Tommy was in the midst of like a decent length, like a three, four year run on the WWE main roster. Oh, really? So like... That's fucking as hardcore as it gets yeah. right there. Like, Jesus Christ. You wow. know, that's a strong lady. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of family. Family. His family. I found out something very interesting that is relevant to your interests. My interests? Regarding his twin daughters. You've actually seen them in something before. Why? Are they like... Has, has, has Tommy used, he hasn't used them at an angle has he like you know I believe actually they were briefly mentioned in some angle but I don't know what I don't know enough about I that I was like he's been beat up by Zack Ryder and his baby's like <laughs> uh, no something you're probably more intimately familiar with than ECW even mm-hmm. they had a short lived acting career okay yeah. On what? The Sopranos. Are you kidding me? More ECW Sopranos crossover. They played Dominica Baclieri, Tony's niece. Wait, so... Janet's baby. Bobby's baby, yeah. They, oh my they, god! They both played the baby. Yeah, because usually that's the way twins are always yeah. used because you can only use babies for X amount of time. Oh my god! So yeah. when Tony's going, oh, that's oh! That's Tommy Dreamer's They're Tommy's! Yeah! The only IMDb page listing is that. (laughs) Tommy, it turns out that our father is not you. It's someone else. What? It's Bobby Baclieri. (laughs) (laughs) Janice would make a great wrestling heel. Oh, my. Yeah, she could pick Vicky Guerrero vibes. Wow, Joe. That's amazing. First, we have the Bada Bing. Yeah. Literally, where where we got Dawn Marie and so many other ECW women. (laughs) And now Tommy Dreamer's kids are Bobby and Janice's dot. That's amazing. (laughs) Great. Wow, that's really interesting to know that. Thank you so much for the the, the, the mini how-to Beulah in the middle of the Dreamer yeah, episode. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the feud with Raven, one of the most important aspects of this, and Tommy will be the first one to tell you, was that he could never beat him. We had year after year after year, confrontation after confrontation, all these new characters been brought in, like the Pitbulls, even Cactus Jack was brought into this feud. But the important thing was that Tommy would never win. He'd have Raven beat dead to rights, and the lights would go off and some new wrinkle would be introduced into it. So when we finally come up to the point in 1997, when Raven has actually now decided that he's going to leave the ECW for Pastures Green with Eric Bischoff's WCW. Oh, what? And a big money contract as well. What? That's so weird to me, the thought of him going to WCW. Oh man, I cannot wait for that episode, Joe. That's all I can say. <laughs> But it comes to the Loser Leaves Town match. Raven versus Tommy Dreamer. The backdrop of which is, can Dreamer finally beat this guy even when he's on his way out the door? And you have this relationship with Tommy where you kind of go, I don't even know if he probably, even when a guy is leaving, if he could beat him. Thus was the paranoia of Paul Heyman and not being able to explicitly trust Raven in the way that he could trust Tommy. He, when, when Raven first came to the company... He taped him versus Dreamer with Dreamer winning 
in front of like you know a non-televised audience so that if raven ever up and left in the middle of this epic years years and years long feud he would have footage of raven losing in his back pocket that he could broadcast on their television show i don't really understand what the point of that is like what would that gain them to have that footage so the audience could still get the happy ending of like look tommy finally finished the story he beat raven but that would have happened beforehand right wouldn't it have been obviously beforehand yeah Probably. That would have been really weird if you had to have been like, oh, look, see, ladies and gentlemen, this uh, this happened just now. Tommy looking really spry here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> also a different crowd, different building. Da- Raven's, uh, yeah, his, his hair is a different shade here. Very yeah. interesting that. Mm. I feel like it's one of those kind of old-timey promoter, just so you know, I've got, you know, yeah. I've got a backup plan, you know. Uh, and also, I think this is during the time period where... Like, I think it's not like this as much anymore, but where, like, wins and losses in promoters' minds meant a lot. Like, maybe, Ra- you know, he was worried that Raven might think losing to Tommy Dreamer would affect his standing with WCW. Oh, what good are you to me? You lost to the to Tommy Dreamer on your way out type of a thing. I think it's all just paranoia, though, that's been overblown. Yeah, I think Heyman just happened to film it, and then in retrospect was like, I am a genius. <laughs> and everyone was like, yes, yes For, you are. He forgot the first thing he did was have Dreamer beat Raven. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know, it was my backup plan. Uh-huh, yeah, Silver bullet. planning for this all along. <laughs> so it's Tommy Dreamer versus Raven from Wrestlepalooza 97. Loser leaves town, and let me tell you folks, this ain't even on the network. Had to go into YouTube. I don't think anything has quite gotten to you with regards to the CW atmosphere. Quite like what I like to term as the entourages that we get. <laughs> I love that in term. In Raven's got quite the entourage tonight. He's referred to, they say on commentary, he's accompanied by his nest. <laughs> which I love that because he's Raven. He's Raven, he's a nest. He also has a flock at different points as okay, well. You know. Cool, yeah. So yeah, the idea that Raven is this cult of personality that draws in all these various people, like the Sandman's family, for instance. Mm. We also had a blow-up doll, who I hate to blow up your spot, but... Uh, you thought was a real person for a good minute or so in the build up to this. It wasn't until at one point it gets knocked over and goes plonk on its face and I was like, oh my god, oh it's it's a it's a sex doll. Wait till you see the Kenny Omega episode, Joe, you're gonna freak <laughs> out. And also in the ring, Lupus, who is quite an authentic looking odd character let's just say yeah i like lupus how would you describe lupus joe he's like a proper grunge dirtbag mm. who's literally always picking his nose the entire like 25 minutes of this match it's time. right up there it actually bothered me after a while because he just has it up there like still it's not even like he's picking at some point no, like it's, you it's, gotta it's be house. you gotta be fidgeting i think in order for it to to sell the nose picking he really reminded me of What's the guy's name from People Just Do Nothing? Steve's. Steve's, yeah. You know, he had this kind of like afflicted look about him yeah. that the lifestyle he has chosen has left him in a kind of a a slightly altered state of mind permanently. Yeah. Uh, other entourages that need a shout out. Simon Diamond, master of the entourage. Joe burst her shit laughing when we watched a random Tommy versus Simon match earlier today where he was accompanied by a musketeer. It was so funny because there's all these like... <laughs> ECW guys who are like wearing black t-shirts and baggy pants and stuff and then just 
because I was writing my notes and you were like, oh, it's a it's a musketeer. And I thought I misheard you. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? And I look up the screen and sure enough, there's this like Oliver Cromwell looking guy. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> with a sword. He looks so out of place. He looks like he'd be in early WWF. Yeah, I thought that Disney Plus was just getting really desperate trying to get us to finish watching the Three Musketeers movie with Oliver Platt Never and Charlie gonna Sheen. Happen. Not going to happen, Disney Plus. Can't get over us. it. I would rather die. Yeah, I, I like a good random collection of non-fitting wrestling parts i think simon diamond also had like an old-timey film usher once coming out so he's coming to the ring there was a guy like your little bellhop hat on with his little you know a torch showing you to your seat or whatnot fantastic but yes tommy dreamer comes out with his main squeeze beulah mcgillicuddy and i think these two have got a little bit of chemistry when they're coming out yeah uh, warmth to them how in the fuck do you do it as a wrestling fan at this arena in 1997? Because these lads go on an extreme walkabout, let's just say, all around the ECW arena where the announcers can't help but tell you how grotesquely hot and unair-conditioned it is. Mm-hmm. The fans are soaking wet. They are stood up on bleachers. There's no backdrop to them. Know, tiny just little wooden boards. Stood on a tiny board with nothing on your back. I how would you do that? I don't know how. I know. Even as a younger man, I couldn't imagine doing that and not just falling over, taking a bump. Madness. Madness indeed. Yeah, they're brawling around through the crowd. There's a couple of good spots that I liked here. We tell had, me, tell me, tell me. We had a moment where Tommy grabs something from a fan's hand, and it's a bottle of squirty ketchup, <laughs> and he like sprays it into his mouth, and then Triple H spits it, sprays it into. Raven's face. It all sticky. I, was that was that ketchup or was that red Gatorade? No, that was ketchup. There was also Gatorade later on. Yeah. <laughs> I usually kind of mentally zone out when they do these kind of walkabout bits because mm. you were like asking me like, could the fans see this on the screen? I was like, there is no screen, Joe. It's ECW. Yeah. They don't do screens in the late nineties at ECW, and as a result, the fans just kind of like move in this tidal wave with them yeah there is this non-stop melee of fans rushing around the arena with tommy and raven as they go to all four corners mm-hmm. they do spots up against like the guardrails they do spots up against like literally the garage doors to get into the building yeah and there's like one referee and one guy in a cop uniform who i'm 80 percent sure isn't actually a cop yeah. <laughs> it's just they're like please no 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 it's a miracle no one got crushed yeah, especially with all those bleachers. I think there must be a lot of shoving and pushing and stuff. People yeah. falling over, surely, but yeah. Both men go through a table at various points when they're exploring around. Mm. They finally come back into the ring and they use chairs, but they're those kind of like crappy, real folding, non-metal chairs, like the plasticky ones. Mm. But they use them for spots like, you know, drop toe holes into them and like, you know, hip tosses and whatnot. So they completely explode and get obliterated. I would love to see a game of musical chairs get played at a wrestling show using chairs that have been used as weapons. (laughs) And then what, someone who's, if you swing it too hard, you haven't got a proper seat now, have you? Well, that's just it. Like, it's a gamble as to whether or not when you sit down, your chair might just explode. (laughs) I love I love the use of crap chairs like that because yeah. the crowd are reacting as if they're being put through metal chairs and I think pick your chairs carefully folks yeah you know less sore to go through a plastic one than a metal one I would imagine I don't know but probably depends on the plastic all I know is that when we were putting out those plastic chairs for our graduation in, in school 
we were swinging them pretty hard oh, at each other. Oh, yeah. And we were, you know, we had to put our hands up to make a noise. We're like, mm. oh, damn it. Or bare heads don't make enough of a noise. We're going to have to fake these chair shots like a bunch of pussies, man. <laughs> not even get a concussion today. Don't even want to graduate anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the use of a sign that is secretly a sign. That's as ECW as it gets, man. Yes, yeah, so they've got a fan sign and they use it as a weapon and then afterwards Tommy pulls off the paper to reveal it's a stop sign yeah man that's cool I like that there was often times where Tommy would be like the king of the you know fan will give you a weapon you know like the fans bring the weapon matches were a staple of ECW and Tommy was always the master of like you get a box it was all wrapped up and he opened it up and be like it's barbed wire and he's reacting like it's an N64 or whatever Mm. it is or there was like a time where he was fighting Raven and he got a box from the audience and there was just a pie in it he went ECW and he pile drove him on the pie wow very doink (laughs) yeah doink was the master of boxes as well and pies on commentary we have got a voice that is very distinct who you needed some help identifying. I had no idea. It was ravishing Rick Rude. I couldn't believe it. He doesn't sound anything like I thought he would. And also, an ECW? I know, right? I'm imagining him, he's there with his like 80s look, his big mullet, his little pants, like tights. Medusa stood behind him yeah. in like a long ball game. Like, you know. And this is what I love now about getting to this point in the Haiti wrestling history. Is that like, we were able to kind of fill in the blanks. It was like, well, why would Rick Rude be there? And it's like, well, he was managed by Paul Heyman in the Dangerous Alliance. And, you know, he would go on somewhere else later on. And ECW was this kind of like stopgap for a lot of folks who were between companies. So lo and behold, Rick Rude's on commentary in ECW, which even with all the explanations still seems kind of weird. Yes. Speaking of commentary, there's a great line from Rick Rude when Beulah puts Raven in a DDT. I think it was Lupus. She DDT'd Lupus. Oh, was it Lupus? Yeah. That was it. And uh, after she does it, Rick Rude's like, I wish you'd do that to me. <laughs> Legend. I'm ahead of his time. What I like now is for all these South Philadelphia sweat hogs to sit down and shut up and send a willing woman to DDT me because I'm really into that. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> there was a point as well when I think it was uh, Chastity and Beulah started rolling around in the ring mm-hmm. for a catfight. Yeah. And you know it's a catfight because Joy Styles went, Catfight! Yeah. Catfight! Also because there's no wrestling, it's just like you'd see in porn. You know what? I think if two women started fighting on a night out in Manchester, the one surefire way you could stop that fight and then have everyone fight you instead yeah. is to go... Catfight! Both of those women yeah, would attack you and it would not be a catfight, trust me. There would be blood. It would be a fucking massacre. It would be a massacre, yeah. So yes, we do have uh, some rolling around the ring, which I was rolling my eyes at. And then there was honestly a very clever bit of video production here. The ladies are rolling around and Rick Roots goes, Oh, Joey, that makes me... Sorry, to correct you, he says, Styles, wouldn't it be great if bleep? Yeah. Now, you can tell. Extremely long bleep as well. Really long. And the beep, as a man who's popped in a few beeps in his day onto various podcasts, that was an old beep affected Mm. by the artifice of the VHS rip on which we were watching. So, we allegedly, this is not a political correctness gone wrong in the late 2000s and noughties. This is. And of the time, mid-90s, yeah. let's edit it right now. 
And I think, is it that Rick said something so heinous? Or was he like, I'll just say a bunch of shit and then Heyman's going to beep afterwards because Ravishing Rick Rude's mind's in the gutter and he yeah. says something. But it really worked. It really worked. I loved that. Without me having to think about the specificity of what gross thing Rick Rude was saying. Yeah, if you're going to be gross, yeah, like really gross, bleep it. Because I liked that. Because I found, honestly, Joey Styles was way more annoying to me with his hey, cat bite comments than Rick Rude, who was like, yeah, I'd love to take a DDT and then bleeping out anything that could be potentially offensive. Like, honestly, I love that. The idea of Jerry Lawler, like, during the Braun Panties match, being like, oh, come on, JR, we all <laughs> And then a big sad dish of be amazing 100% better yeah definitely makes it more uh, palatable so it starts heating up big time towards the end of this match as Tommy gets I think he gets maced or sprayed with hairspray or hairspray, something like yeah. that yeah and I don't know if you notice this is a trend in Tommy Dreamer matches I counted six ball shots in this match I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't being particularly observant or close but Seems to be um, a theme. Definitely a theme, yeah. Tommy either on the barricade or just getting it straight in the balls. It wasn't just him. Raven got one as well. Raven got his fair few of them. Yeah. I don't know if these are the two sides of Paul Heyman's vision, maybe that's what Paul Heyman's vision for wrestling is. Oh, I thought you were saying about the fact that they represent his two like egos in his head. It's like <laughs> both of them get ball shots <laughs> all the time. Uh, yeah, that's how he keeps so level-headed. He yeah. has his uh, avatars in the ring getting the balls yeah. over and over, over and over, over yeah. again. The ref gets bumped. We have more interference from the odd tirage. Joe went so many DDTs at this point. And that's why I have to reveal to you that Raven's finisher was in fact the DDT. Yeah. And Tommy was doing the DDT to kind of get to Raven. Yeah. But I think it shows you the particular flavor of ECW that we're watching when there was six ball shots mm. and lads just finisher, 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 finisher. Like when you hear that Heyman books those Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns matches or whatever, where it's like, boom, finisher. And then he does another finisher. And then the referee gets knocked out. And then there's another finisher. Like that is bombastic style. That's what Heyman books. I also didn't really like the way they did the DDTs. There were points where those DDTs were so, I don't say so fluid because that feels like I'm making fun of it, but like, it felt like we were just kind of in a bit of a roundabout dance at one point. I don't or know, maybe it's because like Jake Roberts was kind of my first entryway into the DDT. So I've kind of got very high standards. Oh, I see. You've become a DDT snob. Yeah, I think so. Oh my so. God, I'm so yeah. proud of you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because I was judging a lot of these DDTs. <laughs> not, not, that, not that great. When we used to do backyard wrestling in school and then one of the older boys was like, what do you guys do? I'll do just a bunch of DDTs, is it? And we were like, Shut up. <laughs> Do double arm DDTs. It's different, okay? <laughs> nice safe DDT. We'll just roll on our heads. No one's going to get hurt. Mm, might, get like bit of, might get a bit of grass and an inflame a ball spot at some point. Yeah. That's all. It's okay. At some point, a guy dressed exactly like Tommy Dreamer runs out. And I thought this was a mistake. It was just all, all men looked like that at the time. But you say that it was a particular guy who was known for doing this? Uh, Louis Spicoli. And I think, yeah, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery because... Louis Spicoli's kind of gimmick was that he was, you know, a Tommy Dreamer-like character, but mm. he was involved in this bitter blood feud with Tommy, and he was dressing up like him to kind of get into his head or whatever. And then, in the way that Tommy started doing the DDT to get to Raven, Tommy started doing Louis' finisher, the Spicoli driver, to get to Louis. But yeah, Louis comes in to interfere on Raven's behalf here. 
uh, he's a sad story in wrestling, Louis Spicoli. Um, the little I know of him has always been praised as like one of the great minds. Mm. And like, if you look at the people he was associated with, it was like Raven, Tommy Dreamer, Paul Heyman. He was in WCW where he was best buddies and on screen with Scott Hall, who's wow. someone who I'd also appreciate as a great mind in wrestling. But as far back as I can tell, Louis Spicoli seemed to be mainlining heavy drugs right. throughout his time in WWE and ECW and WCW. And he died, I th- if he was 30, I don't even think he was. Wow. But he was one of those very early tragic yeah. drug overdoses that kind of the wrestling industry decided it was easier to forget about him than to dwell on him. Because he did contribute quite a fair bit in terms of like the wrestling moves and stuff that he did. He was an innovator. Wow. But um, yeah... I think this was a quintessential ECW experience, this match, because there were so many main points. And, you know, on your ECW bingo card, you had amazing overlooked wrestler who died. Tragically Young makes an appearance. Yeah, it's it's as quintessential ECW as Mm. it gets. But with everyone down and the referee finally too, Tommy gets Raven up for one last DDT. And this one is the real one because he goes, EC fucking W. And he manages to finally put away his arch rival after all these years. Wow. Now, this is the point where normally you give us the match rating. Or and review. I did. What was your rating for the, the, the wild ECW fest that was Tommy Dreamer versus Raven at Wrestlepalooza 97? I thought it was really good. I thought... I enjoyed the fact that there were lots of spots. It was very chaotic. And the crowd was with that chaos the whole way, yeah. which is important, I think. And I definitely feel it would have been extra fun to be there. And watching this match reminded me of the times I've been at particularly fun live wrestling events. It's that infectious kind yeah, of... Yeah, it kind of reminds you of why it's so fun to be there and... Yeah. It's like Tommy describing the cane shots. You know, the first three, you can just take those matches. Then after the seventh or the eighth match... The adrenaline just kicks in, man. <laughs> and then you're stood up at the end looking at the product going, oh, what are you going to do, man? I'm still here. I'm still standing. You've given me eight hours of wrestling. Every match has <laughs> went over. I'm still here. I'm still standing. <laughs> I gave it four out of five stars. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I would have given it a perfect five, but I found the end a bit confusing with yeah. Louis many, Spicoli running out. Too many cooks at the yeah, end, perhaps. But definitely a fun brawl. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's kind of like exactly what... I feel this is a very quintessential ecw match yeah absolutely i feel like i wanted to show you this match at other points but then realizing well maybe this match would better be suited on a tommy or a raven episode yeah i think because it's tommy's end to the story here felt more appropriate for for tommy's story Mm. i guess but then the lights go out they certainly do the screen goes black and then they come up again and it's rob van dam and then the screen goes black again and then the lights come back up and it's Sabu. Oh, wow. It's like all the previous episodes of How to Wrestling that are vaguely yeah. affiliated with ECW. And they're all beating up Tommy, like teaming up together to take him on. Can I just say as well, the most Tommy Dreamer thing ever, where it's like, finally, after three and a half years, he beats... No. And then, yeah, Louis Spicoli, is, he's restraining Beulah while she like watches and cries see Tommy getting beaten up yeah these two Tommy and Beulah had to take turns over the course of their ECW careers being bound up watching the other one get beat up Mm -hmm. essentially and then Tommy manages to get on the offensive of her a bit and he does a double DDT to Sabu and Rob Van Dam and then the screen goes black again (gasps) and then the lights come up and it's it's Jerry the King Lawler (laughs) 
He's there. Can I just say, I don't think I've ever experienced as pure a reaction in wrestling. Yeah. Watching with you for for research or just for watching stuff generally for ourselves than that quick switch between it's Rob Van Dam, it's Sabu, it's Jerry Lawler because he's not ECW, Joe, is he? No, he's not. <laughs> It feels so wrong. It's so weird. It's so weird. And then New Jack comes out and Jerry Lawler, the entire time, he's got a microphone and he's just like kicking Tommy all the time. He's like, kill him. Yeah, he literally says, kill him. He is black tar heroin, Jerry Lawler. He points at Beulah and goes, look at this slut. Yeah, literally, look at this slut. Look at this slut right here. This bingo hole ought to be made out of toilet paper because there's nothing in it but shit. (laughs) Peak, horrible Jerry Lawler. And listening to this audience being like, going from the party atmosphere to be like, no. Mm -hmm. Oh my, it's like a fever dream. Yeah, it is like a fever dream, yeah. (laughs) But I feel even now that I've dreamt it. Then Tommy starts beating the shit out of Lawler for what he said about Beulah. And then Sandman is here. And then Sandman gets beaten up. And then Taz is here. And Taz doesn't even have to do nothing, brother. Yeah, he just gets in the ring and everyone runs away. And it just clears the ring without touching anyone. It is absolute madness. And like, what a perfect little encapsulation of, you know, Heyman's philosophy of hiding the negatives and showing you the positives. Yes, Raven, the character, is leaving ECW. And like I think your reaction sums up well. That just doesn't feel right. Yeah. It feels like that's a part of this. Bad com- ending. <laughs> when you make wrestlers part of your company's soul when they leave, yeah. it's like, oh, because when Salmon left, it's like, oh, our, our soul is leaving. Yeah. Like, you know. And that's why, you know, it was always like, you can never leave, Tommy, because mm. you're not like them. And like Bischoff literally has said, yeah, I ordered I was gonna give Tommy Dreamer a big, big salary just to fuck with Paul Heyman. <laughs> You know, literally, you know, I'd, I'd book him just, just to, to have him, you know, <laughs> to fuck with the, that other promotion. And this was a very good example of like showing you what you still had in that company. Because mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen quite an all star. Everyone is here. Super Smash Bros. ECW edition with dark sided Jerry Lawler DLC. Yeah. Like it's everything you love about ECW and everything that you know that can't be here. Fucking fabulous. Like. Did that alter your... Because I think he's part of the match, it? Isn't is, it? Yeah, I gave yeah. it, I gave it a second rating. Hey, hey. Not often I do that. So I really enjoyed this extra add-on bit to the, to the match. It was absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> but really fun and silly. And would 100% make me... You know, if I saw this kind of even close to when it actually happened, I would really want to go and see ECW live because it feels like this is the kind of chaotic anything can happen atmosphere yeah that was promised to me and it's like yeah if you go over to this company who the fuck knows what will happen anything could happen but it will be fun and you didn't need the licensed music no? this was not like this was the spirit of that promotion i think in one segment yeah. entirely summed up i feel it felt like a couple of little kids playing with their wrestling toys Hell and being like, yes. and Tommy's going to win finally. And and then they're like gross older brother and his friends come along. They're like, no, do, 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 do. no, Sandman, Rob Van Dam, Sabu. <laughs> and then their weird uncle comes into the room. And he's like, hey kids, what are you doing? Jerry Lawler should be here. No! And they're like, no, <laughs> ruined it. I think understanding what makes your show 
special half of that is being able to tell your fans we know what you don't want yeah we know what you don't like it's jerry lola yeah and i think yeah when they revamped ecw they were and they had like zombies and aliens and stuff show up it's like oh you don't want this it's like yeah that on a metaphysical level yeah i guess mm-hmm. but like you found the one guy who represents what ecw isn't yes and you had him run roughshod on so funny on like the hall of fame of ecw basically having him team up with Rob Van Dam and, a and Sabu. Going the whole time. Oh yeah, the whistle. It's so chaotic ah! and stressful. <laughs> I fucking loved it. I gave this five out of five. Fuck yes. Perfect match. ECW finally lives. Yeah, I finally get it. <laughs> so ECW for Tommy Dreamer wasn't just about being the heart and soul. I'm not sure that was written on his contract or not, but this boy had a whole shit ton of bells and whistles added on to what he was expected to do. Because we talked before, young know, people did a bit of booking, or maybe people did a you know a bit of merchandise. Yeah, like Taz did a lot of the graphic design stuff, the yeah. merchandise and things. For my own shit, brother. Yeah. <laughs> but Tommy was designing merchandise. Tommy was also creative with Paul. He was also booking certain shows. He also, would, I didn't realize this, produce entire shows. So Paul, like, there were some of the pay-per-views that he didn't even show up to for the headsets. Tommy's there, agenting all the matches. Wow. You know, and he's also then has to go out and wrestle and do angles and all that stuff as well. That is a lot. Mm. And I will say as well, Tommy Dreamer didn't get paid for the last like two and a bit years of his entire run in ECW. Wow. And you can imagine, Joe, when Rob Van Dam was injured, the Dudley Boys left, Taz left, you know, Shane Douglas left, all the big top names left. You know, Tommy wasn't the champion, but he was still wrestling on big matches in those shows for no money. And I'm intrigued okay putting aside the fact that he didn't really get paid at all how would it have worked because in wrestling i was always under the impression that you got paid more if you were a champion because not because like yeah you usually get a better split of the house or whatever yeah just because you're on screen more and stuff like that how does that work if you're on screen all the time but you're not champion i think how it works you're thinking of the traditional way of what how people get paid yeah based on position on the card split of the house etc in ECW, how the split of the, the the house usually went was, okay, who's really threatening to leave? Oh. Who's the person who I've actually signed a contract with? Like a Lance Storm, for instance. Oh, yeah. Or, or Mike Gossin, whoever it is. Who are the people who I actually have to pay, otherwise they actually legally can leave? Right. And say, see you later, bye. Or who are the people who, okay, I know they'll probably stay around for a long time because they need this and they love this, but maybe I should give them a little something, you know. And Tommy was the guy where, like, hey, I'll sleep on Paul's couch. No, I'll no, sleep I with get, mom and dad. I, I won't that. take a pay, even though I'm in the main event tonight. I get that, but I assume in the long term, he the plan was to pay him. Yeah. Hypothetically. There's a reason why a long list of people are owed six figures plus yeah. from ECW. Like, but if I Rob wanna... Van Damme is owed six figures, yeah. you know. <laughs> but I kind of want to put that aside and work out just how Tommy was sold the idea that he wouldn't win championships knowing that that's traditionally how you get paid is if you get championships. Oh, right, because it would be, you know, you're not just being a guy on screen. You're you're basically being part uh, booker, owner of this company. You get power, you get responsibility. Would you he get still to shape been, the, the, the brand and the image. Would he still you. have been promised extra pay despite not being a champion because of all his screen time. I think, yeah, he would have been, you know, you're considered a top guy. Yeah. So, yeah, you're going to get paid a you know, certain amount of top guy salary. So if he had won a championship, 
he wouldn't have necessarily been promised more money. No, I don't think so. Okay. And I think ECW, the the traditional rules of how people got paid, yeah, it was, was very, very different. different. Yeah. Like, But also as well, ECW was the type of place where you weren't necessarily like, oh, I'm going to see the show tonight because... You know the champion Mike Awesome is is defending, and I feel for the legacy of this belt, or whatever. They wouldn't even announce the cards. You know, seventy, eighty percent of the time. Yeah. So you just know, oh, the guys are going to be there. I'm going to have a great show. Yeah. They very much viewed it more as an ensemble thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there was also the unspoken thing with Tommy, where it's like they're not going to appreciate you over there like I appreciate you. Mm. You know what? What? What is it about Tommy Dreamer? It's ECW. You can't have that on WCW. Sandman can still come out with a cane. And drink a beer on another show. And maybe it's not as cool. But it's still a vibe. And it's still, you know, Shane Douglas, whoever, can go over to the other company and be him. Mm. You can't really. Because you are this company and this company is you. The extent of which, I didn't know this until recently. Tommy put money into the company. That doesn't surprise me. He put hundreds of thousands into the company. And this is while, by the way, you remember the big secret from the Paul Heyman episode? Mm. That he was secretly getting checks from Vince McMahon oh, the entire yeah, time? Oh yeah, of course. Tommy didn't know that. Of course he didn't. So you got Paul Heyman going, we're not going to make the next town. <gasps> the company's going to go out of business, Tommy. And he t- if Tommy knew that Vince McMahon was giving this lad fucking five-figure checks every other week, mm-hmm. he probably wouldn't be giving him a six-figure check every other month. Yeah. Fucking hell! But main reason why Tommy probably liked it so much was because... Of the lifestyle, baby. And he is talking extensively the best time of my life. Yeah. And this retrospective we watched was shot around 2016, 2017, I think. And Tommy was more than happy to go into details about how everything they did was illegal. And they lived for one thing, and that was the after party. They tell all the fans, we're at the Travel Lodge, brother. Come down here. I think the direct quote from was, hey, you want to do, you want to smoke pot? Oh, you got it here, have you? You could have sex with wrestlers. You could smoke weed with Rob Van Dam. Or drink a beer with Sandman. I got to live that for eight years. Yeah, he's literally saying, you know, it was it was carte blanche yeah. in terms of that. And I think the fans who were going there were expecting, well, we're going to get to fuck these wrestlers, right? Or, yeah. or watch them fuck other people or yeah. do drugs or whatever it is. But that's the thing, right? Tommy himself, he says he doesn't smoke weed. He doesn't take drugs. He barely drinks. Yeah, he's not, he's not a... And he, in my mind, he never was that... Like, I never viewed Tommy Dreamer as, like, the party guy, like a Balls Mahoney or a Sandman or a Rob Van Dam or, or not even, like, a Sabu who's, like, you know, Sabu partook. I didn't think Sabu was, like, the life of the party, but he'd be doing hard drugs in yeah. a room with someone somewhere. Whereas Tommy was the life of the party without partaking in any of that. I think there's a... Kind of a master of ceremonies, kind yeah. of frat boy element of like, hey, look at this man. I put on this kick-ass party. Everyone's here. Everyone's having a good time. That's that's my high, man. You think of though again with the money, like it must. I'm I'm almost. Oh, there'll always be money for drugs at those yeah. shows. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they'll all. Hey, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of wrestlers who got paid part in drugs, part in in, sure. in pizza and fucking beers. But like. I would be willing to bet that Tommy also put a bunch of money into paying for you know. The, the the sex workers that they would have hired, paying yeah. for some of the drugs when they run out, paying for beers here and there, the hotel rooms and stuff when they, you know, want a bit of privacy for an orgy or whatever. He does say that at any given ECW after party, the smell of weed would be heavy in the air. Heavy drug use took place, but usually away from everyone else in a different room. Yeah. And there were piles of blood and babes everywhere. 
That sounds scary. That sounds fucking gross. And you know what's really funny to me is the idea that ECW, like, what what drew it to me to it? Even though, like, hey, I'm I'm no partier, absolutely mm. not. And like, and less so when I was a, a kid watching ECW tapes. I wasn't like, awesome, they're fucking drinking and do it. No, you've I, always thought that is horrible. Yeah, I'm not sc- your thing. Scared of yeah. it. Yeah, I I was raised Catholic, and we're gonna worry you're gonna get struck down by Aww. by the demons. Uh, so that was. It was no kind of vicarious fantasy for me, but like what it was for me was like you're rejecting what came before you. It's like all that old stuff from the eighties, all those lazy old time wrestlers. You you say fuck that. It's this cool new thing for what, the edgy cool new guys. What did they think the guys in the eighties were doing but in this, their time off. This is the thing is. If far from yes, maybe the wrestling style was throwing out the culture yeah, and ripping it up. But in terms of the backstage culture, stuff, yeah. this is the last bastion of the eighties, yeah. living well and through into the late nineties. Because where do you hear stories about hotels covered in cocaine and strippers being brought back on mass and guys sleeping with fans and you know bringing girls to the matches and literally talking about like okay that one's gonna sleep with uh, axel rotten that one i think guido's gonna have sex with her yeah. you know like literally like masterminding like a pimp or something like that that's his that's ecw and it's early 80s wrestling that's yeah. where you hear about it yeah these lads were throwbacks once the show was over oh 100 percent, and even the really dark side of things as well which you know you kind of can't avoid talking about but stuff like h-bombs which is a term for when wrestlers would basically give a date rape drug to strangers who they've seen or other wrestlers and this yeah. was like a common thing to do as a prank oh, or yeah, yeah. Or to get their end away, like literally, like there were cases of, of rapes. Well, and this is something again has happened. You know, it was big in ECW, but it did happen in like the eighties as well. You know, like mm. there were rumors of Marty Jannetty and Shawn yeah, Michaels getting up to yeah, this yeah, stuff, absolutely. and way beyond before them as well. Like, I just think it's very funny that I remember the early two thousands when there was the first wave of shoe interviews, and an ECW guy like nothing more than to crack his knuckles and be like, "Oh, let me tell you." Mr. Pedophile, who runs RF Video, about the amazing parties we had and all the shit we did to all the rats, brother. Oh my god, it was so mm-hmm. great. And now, you know, where everyone's got a podcast, yeah, people are suddenly a little bit gun shy to talk about the time that that Perry Saturn used a Raven action figure to finger a girl or whatever it may be. The story of the yeah. day. Sorry if the grisly details are inaccurate, but also a lot of those podcasts I've noticed have been taken offline, yeah. which is interesting. I think that in this day and age. Hey, all I'll say to Tommy is that he's the last man standing in terms of saying, that was awesome. That was the best time of my life. And maybe it's easy for him because he wasn't on hard drugs. Yeah, and he was a man. Because I actually saw a tweet from Missy Hyatt, who apparently wrestled oh, in yeah, yeah. Yeah, ECW. She, she's been in the wars, let me tell you. Yeah, and she people asked her what it was like at the time as a woman. And she was like, oh, it was horrible. It was really horrible. We couldn't say anything because everyone would just like basically like, They'd, they'd probably just fire you. It was pretty much known that if you spoke out against it, you'd be considered a, a troublemaker. They and didn't even have their blackballed own, and stuff. Their own locker room. No, the women had to hold towels up for each other while changing because because you think as well, it's just like oh, just get on with it. You're all professionals, right? Yeah. But no, the men were creeps and they had to act like creeps and fucking date rape their colleagues. So they had to hold up towels for each other oh, and get gosh. changed when the men weren't around and stuff. It's just awful awful stuff and yeah it sounds like real oh so fun when you hear it from tommy dreamer but then when you hear it from the women it's like oh no i felt endangered all the time i never felt safe you need to everyone always needs to take a step back with the 
the good old days, what you consider them, and maybe for the benefit of your later years, just kind of reassess them a bit. Because, like, you know, someone mentioned to me, oh, you know, Dreamers said all sorts of things on, like, Austin's podcast, oh, for yeah. instance. And I remember I was listening to, I remember I listened to it back in the day and was shocked and never listened to it there recently. I played you the clip and he's just like, Austin's like, oh man, tell me about all the crazy stories. Because Austin has this kind of like, oh, I'm like a gelded stallion because I became such a big top guy. I had to travel I on my own. Tell me about the dirty stories. I have a theory about that. And I think Austin is a very smart man who knows how to get people to say what he wants them to say. <laughs> and I think he knew. Truly if... the Louis Theroux. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I think he knew if he made out as though he was really jealous and, oh God, Tommy, you must have been so lucky having all those orgies. I don't think Steve Austin wants orgies. He's a control freak. If he wanted orgies, he could have had loads of orgies. Yeah, well, well Tommy Dreamer on this podcast literally be like let me tell you about the time that we had an orgy i won't name names but matt striker yeah matt striker you son of a bitch listen matt you remember remember when you tried to have sex with those four strippers and i was watching dudes oh man it was great so yeah i don't really get what tommy gets out of this considering as i said i think he pays for a lot of it and he didn't take drugs and he didn't really drink so he was probably the one driving them around everywhere it's the, the cool stories he gets to tell stone cold steve austin about the time that Freddie Prince Jr. and Kieran Culkin showed up and stole all the strippers. Mm, so what, he's just there? Hey, fucking fuckers, what's going on? Uh, oh, yes, very serious wrestlers. Mm, yes, very serious. <laughs> hey, girls, you're coming with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take you upstairs to a high-rise apartment where I'm going to jack off onto a onto a window and then yeah. leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just the thought of, like, what, Tommy's just sitting there, married. I assume Bueller is probably there at this point. This is before they had kids. And what the story he was telling they were they oh were, that's yeah. true that in particular story that, was... the twist in that story isn't that fucking Kieran Culkin showed up and stole the strippers the twist in that story is that it was in WWE in 2008 it's madness he's talking about orgies yeah. in the hotel rooms oh my god turns out that ECW revival was more authentic than yeah. I gave it credit for it show but yeah just the thought of him just like sitting there watching them was he, was he jacking off like what what What's he there for? Not I don't get what's in it for him. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just... No, I it's feel, fine. I just want to know. I just think that Tommy... For me, like part of the character of him, and like a lot, I've seen a lot of people tweeting about this, that like the reason why they, they kind of thought the character was relatable on the surface level is that, hey, you know, the guy who's a high school jock who maybe he's let himself go a little bit in later years, but he's still a tough son of a bitch, and once the fight comes, hmm. that fire comes out, dude. But man... If anything's like art imitating life or life imitating art, where it's like he is, and maybe the dark side of the ring put a bit of, put a, this in perspective for him, but he is tragically caught up in the past, and not just ECW in in that time period, yeah, the good old days. Oh man, you know he just he is a wistful individual. It's so bizarre as well. Poisoned by his own nostalgia. Yeah, because he'll talk about this amazing time of like sex, drugs and rock and roll and stuff. And then literally seconds later, he'll talk about Sandman dying. Like Sandman died. Great anecdote. From a drug overdose. And then he just dumped him on the side of a road. And they were like, right, Sandman's dead. Let's go on with the show. But it's, you know, it's a funny anecdote that you and I laughed at. It is a funny anecdote because Sandman doesn't give a shit. He showed up to the show later. They were all fine but just the fact that he can say in the same breath like wow these were good times man it was so great when sandman died uh, you just watching tommy dreamer talk about his talk for any length of time until a certain point and he becomes like paulie in the sopranos being like hey, remember when remember when yeah, you know? yeah. and i feel like i'm tony getting kind of angry on the boat like yeah. you know what about the guys that died don't talk about them anymore i just feel like when ecw died it was for 
it was a sad thing in many ways, but it was long overdue. Mm. I think ultimately was uh, was was the reality because it was so unsustainable. It was so toxic uh, in in terms of like what was going on behind the scenes, and also I think what it did to some of the wrestlers who were there because I think a lot of wrestlers <laughs> lost a lot of their sense of self-esteem and their value because they could only view it through a Paul Heyman. Like there are a lot of wrestlers who I think were on the up when ECW died, who never were able to get to that next level because they didn't have Uncle Paul there to yeah. be continue to tell them all the things. There weren't enough people who had found their footing on their own right outside of Heyman and the cult of that company. Yeah. And that's why like Dreamer, he says you know, when he, when that company closed, it was the worst depression he'd ever experienced. He's been very open about depression over the years. This bout of depression that he experienced led to him coming up with a plot to at WrestleMania 17, where it was taking place in the Houston Astrodome. You ever read WrestleMania 17 for a pay-per-view classic? Which one was that? Austin and The Rock. We had uh, Shane versus Vince. Oh, yeah. The TLC match. Raven, Big Show and Kane. The hardcore match was a golf cart and they really run over the, the cable. For yeah, the Great show. Fun. In my opinion, probably one of the greatest wrestling shows of all time, but... Houston Astrodome was interesting, Joe, because the Houston Astrodome in Texas with open carry was one of the only stadiums in the country where you could bring in a loaded firearm. And a he loaded thought, firearm. Yeah. And he thought a great idea in the midst of this depression was that he was going to go to WrestleMania 17. Mm. And was he after- sorry, working for WWE at this point? No, no. He was, uh, he was jobless and actually oh. just been stiffed on, a, on, a, on an indie payday as well. Oh, jeez. Okay. And uh, yeah, he thought it would be a great idea to go to WrestleMania 17 grab Paul Heyman, who was on commentary with JR at the time, shoot and kill him, and then kill himself. That was his plan. Why? ECW, because of all the lies that Heyman had told him and all the bullshit. So he was angry. He was angry. And apparently, just as he was thinking to do this plan, JR gave him a call and was like, hey, Tommy, just said, you know, a lot of, lot of plates been spun at the moment because WCW and ECW both out of business. We have plans. We're keeping you in mind. Hang in there. But like... What a... Wow. What a fucking strange alternate history wrestling could have been there. I mean, God, good on JR for like having that weird... I don't genuinely believe this, but like some kind of psychic link. Mm, I think today I'll prevent a tragedy. I guess like on some level when you've worked the job of... Head of talent relations. Head of talent relations, yeah. Where you work a lot with like the wellness of wrestlers and stuff. I think on some level you do start to... Vince, I'm thinking some of these ECW guys might be fixing to do a homicide at WrestleMania. So I'm going to give a little bit of a call around, make sure everyone's okay. Yeah. I mean, can I say the, the main immediate thing that struck me, because I'd heard that story before, but you could bring a loaded gun into WrestleMania 17? That's mad, isn't I it? I thought they banned that after AWA and Bobby Heenan in the 70s. I didn't realize that they were loaded. When I watched that show again, and I will... Knowing that there are loaded guns in the arena is uh, yeah. quite a different story. Because I'd always heard that before and I was like, all oh, right, yeah, Tommy, you had this kind of weird power fantasy, mm. you know, fucking Michael and Alan Partridge. And then I get Paul Heyman in my helicopter. And then I fly over and I, and I, and I get all the people. I get Raven. But no, it's actually shockingly plausible, what? his crazy plan. What year was this again, sir? 2001. Right. I will say as well, like, Heyman, you know, he, he told them, hey, I'm getting funding for the company. Yeah. And then literally showed up on Raw as the announcer. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the worst possible way to deal, like, for all the master manipulation Paul was capable of, he did fucking very little of that at the end of his run. He just decided to show up, rip off the band-aid. Did Tommy ever get paid for all the back pay he was owed? He got some, but no. 
ECW, when it went bankrupt, you know, there was a, a long line of people who were expecting money. Yeah. And surprisingly... Would those debts not have been absorbed by the WWE? Um, that's usually in bankruptcy court when people are buying stuff, a lot of things get written off. Oh, of course, it was bankruptcy court. And surprise, surprise, Joe, the lads who had informal handshake, not fully fleshed out, not real contracts written by his parents didn't really get their fair shake of things yeah so that's what i mean you know how convenient that they declared bankruptcy before they were sold to the mega corporation that could have afforded to pay i think that's very intentional yeah so dreamer did find his way like into wrestling mainstream when wf you know they did an invasion in 2001 the summer where wcw and ecw dreamer and rob van damme were the two kind of signees but a guy whose gimmick was a guy in a t-shirt who was featured in a faction that had around 40 people in it, all of whom were wearing t-shirts that said WCW or ECW on them. Mm. He wasn't really, you know, longed for, for a, much of a spot in that respect. So they didn't really care that he was the guy of ECW. No. Like, it seems obvious to me that, like, if you are, especially seeing as Paul Heyman was there booking yeah. things, that mm. they'd have been like, yeah, so we Pushing obviously, him, like, you know, we're relaunching this brand. We want to put it behind the guy who is perceived as being the brand. So there's separate things. There's the ECW relaunch that happened in like 2006, where it became a third brand on TV with weekly television. This in 2001 was just a storyline of oh. the remnants of these companies are joining up under Shane and Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie's the owner of ECW. Shane owns WCW and they're going to beat up all the WWF wrestlers. And at this point, the idea in storyline was that they were buying these companies to kind of like destroy them, right? Not uh, to... No, they are going to buy them to do a hostile takeover of Vince's company and yeah. destroy him. Right, but also them. Yeah, yeah. it's not like they were like, right, we're going to destroy Vince and then we're going to make ECW and WCW no, big flagship The alliance shows. is going to be the, the right. thing. Right, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, there's definitely value in that story. And like, I think, yeah, it's a fascinating story. I think it's a really fun time period. I'm running through it again on Smackdown Crawl and I'm having a whale of a time but it ain't a story about ECW no as, as you would understand it yeah. you know so Tommy was you know pretty much just another guy there he does get another shot at notoriety in 2002 where he, they do a brand split they have Raw and Smackdown they've gotten rid of ECW and WCW and Tommy's brought on there to be part of their hardcore division and he's given a gimmick a gimmick that as soon as I was reminded of it and your recent fascinations, I thought, Tommy Dreamer, if the ECW stuff won't get over, brother, he's got a shot with Joe Graham as the man who eats weird things. <laughs> and yes, there was big reactions for Tommy Dreamer being caned and Tommy Dreamer and his feud with Raven. But boy, was there a reaction when Tommy Dreamer ate weird things on Raw from you, Joe. Mm -hmm. Tell me some of the weird things that Tommy ate. So he did a few gross things, a couple that stuck with me. One, there's a segment where he goes to get his hair cut. And he literally says three times, I'm going to get my hair cut. I'm going to get my hair cut. He sits down, ah, I'm just going to get my hair cut. Yep. <laughs> and, and, Fucking NPC. Yeah. Need something? A haircut. <laughs> he immediately starts eating his own hair. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty gross. Gross? He says it's like chewing gum chewing it around it's not though tommy is it no, it's not it's hair then he drinks barbicide which is that blue disinfectant they use to clean all the brushes and the combs and stuff i will say for in terms of finger on the pulse 2002 i know it's slightly after the time of the original run but like this is jackass yeah weird stuff being eaten yeah i'm pretty sure if team joe was flipping channels and saw the man eating strange things 
you wouldn't even know it was a wrestling show from from the way some of these are shot. These yeah. bits. He's just a guy at a barber's <laughs> eating hair off the floor with toilet paper uh, stuck into it. Yeah, he finds a big pile of hair on the floor and he grabs a big old handful, big old clump of hair and eats that. <laughs> eats some ha- antibacterial hand gel. <laughs> it's horrible. It was a great segment then with The Undertaker, which oh, starts no. with Tommy walking around being like, I'm just a normal guy. Sorry, I'm eating a hot dog that fell on the ground. The unprotected, dirty ground. He smears, there's some ketchup on the floor and he, he smears the hot dog that's been stamped on. He smears it in the ketchup and eats it and he's like, it's good. It's nice. I remember being fucking despondent as a child with this. Your hero. <sighs> yeah, that's what they think about people like you, Kevin. But it wasn't like, I wasn't feeling bad for Tommy. That 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 would that would not be the case. Hmm. I was feeling bad for ECW. God damn you! Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that and that's again. It's like you disrespect Tommy in in fickle fan Kevin's mind. You disrespect ECW, right? And this was obviously beneath him. But Jesus, the reaction he gets from the audience—that's amazing. Live audience and you in the, yeah. in the future. The thing he does with the Undertaker is ab- it's one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen, and I watch LA Beast videos for fun. Yeah, you gagged. I did gag. A straight up gag when Undertaker is like, "Boy, you're going to drink my tobacco spit." Yeah. And he's like, "Hang on a second, let me get a couple of them meatballs in there for you." And then comes the. Uh... It looks like something they cut from a cancerous lung. <laughs> And like Jim Ross is like, that's a nasty habit he's got. It's yeah. a damn nasty habit. He manages to fill a whole plastic cup with his dip spit. Joe, that ain't nothing. I always hated that he carries around a dip cup. I think that's fucking vile. What? You want him spit on the floor? I just want him to not exist. Look, look. Either we go with Proposition three hundred five and spittoons are installed everywhere across oh my America, God. like the dippers want, no. or you're gonna have to deal with the plugs where they fall. Joe, I seen Ric Flair fill up a venti Starbucks mug with dip spit over the course of a two part shoot interview back That's in the horrible. day. Even that makes Na- me gag. Nasty habit. And Tommy, he fucking tans that thing. He does. Like his job depends on like, it, and it does. I assumed he'd take a big sip. I was like, if he can, if he's as gross as I think he is, he can take a big. He chugs the whole thing and then he eats the tobacco. Thank you, sir. May That's I have another? <laughs> so bad. There's a reason you spit it out. Oh my fucking god! I hope he made himself sick after, like, literally throw up because, like, I'm pretty sure that can give you cancers. Yeah, Taker like almost breaks characters. Yeah. Like, Boom! Too far. <laughs> gross. Weird man. I, I've learned my lesson. I ain't going to drink no more tobacco juice ever again, Tommy. I'm sorry. It's fucking vile. It is. It, it... Imagine being married to him and seeing that. Like, for me, it felt like par for the course because it was like, you're only as. It, it, it made me quite cynical at the time, thinking, like, oh, you're only as good as what you can do for me right now at the second on Monday Night Raw. Three, two, one, go. And drink it, the Undertaker spit. It's very much the, oh, you're a stand-up comedian, tell me a joke. Three, yeah. two, one, go. I'm not laughing. What's going on? I'm yeah. not laughing. And it's like, but Tommy has a whole career in ECW and you have to understand the legacy and the history of the, and the brand. Like, yeah, drink, drink the fucking piss on the floor. Yeah. D- d- do Lick that instead. Okay. You know. I think it's really impressive that he can do it. I think it's genuinely a really impressive skill. Not many people would do it, Joe. And I think a lot of people are very dismissive about the ability to eat gross food and think, oh, it's just stupid shit. It's not. It's, Mind it's, over matter. It is a skill. It's incredibly... I, I find it really admirable in its own weird way. 
don't think we should encourage it too much because I think if you're getting to the point where you're eating chewed up tobacco, you are doing yourself a lot of harm. Yeah. But I think on the whole, it's really unfair that like when we were growing up, I feel there were a lot of kids who did that stuff just to be laughed at by bullies. Like, hey, what a freak. And like, yeah, it's weird, but it's also a skill. And let's acknowledge that skill. I think Tommy Dreamer has got this mind over matter business because he cuts himself so badly in, in, in all of his matches. He takes these ridiculous hangman ball breaking shots mm. that I feel he can just go to this place in his head or whatever it is. What is kind of shocking to me is when you see him here in 02, as a man who's survived, you know, nearly seven years of the ECW lifestyle, he's in great shape. Yeah. He looks like JR refers to him. We watch a bunch of these like, you know, hardcore matches around the time, him and Bradshaw, him and Stephen Richards, and Jarrett called him, like, you know, a handsome young man, and yeah. he's almost kind of come full circle. And I was shocked to find out that even though he broke his back, and he broke his neck in ECW, never had a surgery at That's that point. mad to me. Never had one. And uh, the shots to the head he's taken, yeah, I would have he thought... seems pretty... Like, I, I, I don't know people are going to go, oh, when he said stupid shit, ergo, he had brain damage. It's like, nah. well, you know, you see the how long it takes certain words and phrases and stories to come to someone like say Mick Foley or whatever it is when you see Mick Foley when he's young and the way he talks that was my main takeaway from that episode was just seeing him kind of break down not even physically it was his mental descent yeah he says he feels like he's underwater and I believe that I see that yeah because he goes from this like incredibly well spoken young individual to like this guy who struggles to form full sentences sometimes Tommy doesn't seem to be burdened with that at all. No, he claims it's his very thick skull. That the Ken Shamrock school of thought where like, I'm physically built different. I'm very interested. I hope he leaves his body oh, yeah. and brain to science. Because I think... And his balls. And his balls, obviously. Because <laughs> I do think it's really important to look at why some people are so more damaged by concussions and things and others aren't like he definitely has had lots of concussions he said he's had many 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 like probably yeah dozens and yeah it's affected him so differently i'm not going to say it's necessarily not as bad because who knows what's going maybe maybe emotionally it's affected him or something like that we We don't know but clips of him wrestling from 2023 and in impact seems fine you know is he as spry as he was no but he can like he he doesn't have different the thing always you can tell it's like when someone's getting up and down from the ring apron. Yeah. Can they get up onto the ring apron with no problem? And he can. Mm. Like, you know, his legs are fine. His arms are fine. You know, he, he doesn't seem to have neck issues that cause him to not be able to do the stuff that he's mostly done for yeah. his career. So in many respects, he is probably, out of all the ECW guys we've seen, the guy who can still do the most of what he used to do. Because mm. I know Rob has been through the ringer and Sabu yeah. is physically devastated as yeah. well. But Tommy is like... Yeah, he's seems okay. Good genetics, I guess. Maybe not sure. That's why I want to know. That's why we need to chop him up. Yeah, for science to find out. <laughs> Just to quickly go back to the gross-out gimmick, please, because we're 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 uh, we want to get a full picture of Tommy here, please, Joe. I just had to find out one thing, which was why he did it. Why would you drink the Undertaker's spit? What on earth could convince a man to do that? Now I know oh. on some level it's probably the respect from the Undertaker. <laughs> Genuinely, I think that's probably all he needed to be paid in. Was well, he slap he, on the shoulder. He claims he got Undertaker's spec the first night he came into WWE, oh. which is when there was like a hundred invasion lads all beaten up on the outside. Taker yeah. did a big dive, and everyone like basically was like, Whoa. everyone found their inner oh, Miz, and he protected. And Dreamer him. was like, "I'll protect the business," and he caught him. Yeah, good lad. And Taker's like spec. 
Yeah. I respect you, Tommy Dreamer. But I think for Tommy Dreamer and someone like him, the potential of respect is infinite and he could always do with more. Oh, yeah. Always but, wants more respect. I mean, hey, me at the time, I would have thought, here's the story. You're sitting in Cajun for the sixth week in a row and Brian Gorwitz just goes, hey, can you want to eat weird shit? Not really. You'd be on TV. Well. You know. Well, let's see. Hmm. Six months ago, I was planning uh, a, a murder-suicide <laughs> at the biggest wrestling event of all. Can you imagine as well? All right, the, uh, now we've got the seriousness of that out of the situation. Can you imagine the best wrestling show of all time? Ending like that. And it, sorry, you better have done it after the main event. That's all I'm saying, Tommy. You kill Heyman once. My God, Stone Cold is a land with Vince McMahon, is that Satan? And my broadcast colleague has been murdered. What the hell is going on? Imagine as well shooting Paul Heyman and not Jerry Lawler. <laughs> well, Jerry Lawler doesn't know him that money, though, right? I don't give a shit. And also, Jerry. Your gun is right there. You're going to kill yourself anyway. May as well pop one in Jerry. Well, well, just do some good I'm before sorry, you leave Joe. this mortal plane. He, Jerry wasn't with the WWF at the time. So, oh, you know, damn. unfortunately, like, you know, maybe that was, it was his fallback. He got yeah. into Memphis because of stir. But anyway, I found out how much he was paid to do that. Really? Drinking the Undertaker's spit spot. Oh, now, never mind the ECW divvying up of, of funds. What could of a house do you get if you drink Booger Red's dip? Well, how much would it be worth to you? To how, me? To drink The Undertaker's dip spit, what would they have to pay you? Am I allowed to go... And, like, just gargle it all the time and, like, because, I mean... Gargle it? You want it longer no, in your mouth. as in, I'm saying that I don't think physically it would go all the way into me. Like, I'd put it in my mouth and I would go... You have to try to swallow all of it. If I just have to try... How much is left on the mortgage? <laughs> uh, fifty grand. Yeah, and that's that's me hoping to have some dignity. No wonder I can't get booked on a wrestling show, Joe. No, this big rider. Yeah, yeah, fifty grand to drink the spit. Well, why am I? Not even book him. Fifty want, grand. Yeah. Do you want to make a guess for how much he got paid? I can tell you now, it wasn't fifty grand. No. Ten. No. Seven? Yeah. Seven? Seven grand. And that's American dollars, so so about £5,500. So under a tenth of my uh We could buy you, price. like, a MacBook and maybe... A spare MacBook? An iPad as well. Yeah. Ooh. But the, uh, you get the... For him, though, it's opportunity, not dollars, right? The opportunity for what? You get squashed by The Undertaker, I'm assuming, after the fact. I imagine that would get you more money than drinking the spit, wouldn't it? I doubt it. No, on no. Raw. If it was on Raw, maybe on pay per view, but on Raw. On but Raw. like, usually the pay, like the payday bonuses around that time for like big matches, would be like twenty, twenty five grand type of a thing. So, so I just rather do more of those than drink the Undertaker's dips bit. Tommy, you should have just turned to him and said, "Guys, how about you put me in some of the main events instead? Yeah. I'll earn my money." But I mean, it's and probably like, yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> in, for WWE, that was more money than they would have probably thought of given. That, I, they, they, they're being generous in their mind with that I wonder if there was negotiations because I think <laughs> I think there probably was if only because I think Vince McMahon would find it really funny the idea of negotiating an amount <laughs> yeah alright we, we hope $500 $500 okay we'll do we'll add a zero but only if Taker spits out the big chunk that's in his mouth no no Tommy was saying he'd do it for 500 Vince was like come on now let's do it for Tommy, 7,000 have, have a little dignity please <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. I mean, 
it, it, I don't think it really got his foot in the door, so to speak. Probably what helped him was the fact that Heyman at this point was on the writing team. Mm. You know, he was probably pitching stuff. They wanted to have a hardcore division on Raw. So he got, you know, a few... I mean, I think the match with Bradshaw that we watched was really fun. I think that was, uh, you know, showing that you can have that hardcore match be further down the card, but still be an interesting different part of the show. I think it had potential, the gross-out stuff. I just yeah. think they did it wrong. Mm. I think they... It wasn't incorporated into the matches either. No, exactly. It's kind of its own thing. And I feel they should have done it more as kind of like a yeah, an LA beast or a jackass type thing of like, hey, look at me. I kind of, I'm hardcore. I can do it all. I can eat gross shit. I can take loads of chair shots and yeah. stuff. Like, I, I'm badass. I don't give a shit. I'll, I'll take it. Instead of him kind of doing it like this... Uh, <laughs> I like eating hot dogs from the ground. Yeah, it, mm. it definitely hasn't got like an, an air to it being a wrestling character. No, it made just, him seem like he enjoyed drinking the spit. It felt like if they still had a hookup with Howard Stern, they would have got one of his guys to do yeah. it instead. But hey, Tommy's doing it. I think it did go away to at least parlaying him more TV time. And that brings us to our next match, which honestly, I remember at the time... This was something that blew me away and I always held a, a close spot in my heart this match because I thought it was like showing the WWE audience what ECW was really about. Mm. And this is Tommy Dreamer versus Rob Van Dam from Raw in 2002 where they are getting rid of the Hardcore Championship and combining it with the Intercontinental Belt. And yes, of course, the thorned rose that is, they'll finally understand what ECW is about as JR is like, this is the last ever Hardcore <laughs> match. And he's not saying it with a note of sadness or a note of joy, like, no. oh, thank God that crazy shit is stopping. It's just, matter of fact, general manager Bischoff says no more hardcore stuff, so we're doing it. Yeah. And we don't have much to say about it. This is a match that is greeted immediately with big chance of ECW, and Tommy Dreamer starts welling up with tears. Aww. Just saying ECW at one point would make Tommy cry. Yeah. And this is one of those points. Rob and Tommy, though, these lads are very familiar with each other, and they treat us at the start to... I bet you didn't think they did this in ECW where they're like jumping in a Oh, I thought you meant the handshake. They do a lovely little gentleman's handshake at the start. Little agreement, you know. Uh, Good match tonight. I thought you weed before. Oh. (laughs) You have, sir. Many times, yes. I I took of said weed. (laughs) But I meant more along the lines of they do some kind of like actual wrestling at the start. Yeah, it's kind of showing that they're evenly matched, which I thought was a bit weird. You started laughing during this bit, just when I was like, look, and they're going to face off and go, come on. And you were like, Tss. well, because it's Rob Van Dam. It's Rob Van fucking Dam. Like he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. He has to slow down so much to make it look like, oh, Tommy's just, Tommy's, just about to get me. Tommy's always been the underdog. He's never been an equal to Rob Van Dam. I think even he would admit that. So you think this should be more like Rob kind of schooling Tommy a little bit than them wanting to show them the the equal footing they allegedly have. I feel if they're going to show equal footing, they have to show Tommy's strengths, which is that he can take a lot of punishment and he'll always get back up again. Yeah. And he will take it to the extreme. We do get a bit of that in this match for sure. A little bit, but yeah, the, the technical... Yeah, I there was know. always a bit of that in ECW matches where they would you know, you're expecting the hardcore war and Tommy and you know Devon Dudley or whoever would do like the, the mat wrestling for five yeah. or so minutes and be like ah see we can do it all right now that's done let's you know yeah, it just felt <laughs> random to me yeah were there any spots or kind of any use of the hardcore weaponry that you did enjoy or did make a, an impact on you in this one not really there was like a couple of ladder spots that were a bit fun I guess there was a oh, bit where the, the ladder where he lands yeah. on his dick 
in the match with Tommy Dreamer, he lands on his dick. But that's never happened before. Has that happened before? A few times. Oh, has it? Yeah. He lands right on his dick, and then he kind of tilts upside down into the tree of woe, which you always complain about the tree of woe. But I thought this is a good this use good, of it, yeah. where it felt like he naturally was in that position, and then Rob smashed him with that drop kick in the chair. Yeah, thought that was very, very cool. Got some pathetic kicks from Tommy. I do not like his kicks. Weak. Yeah, like what his little setup kicks for the DDT yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Shit, really shit. It's like if I did a kick. So it's the kicks and the headlocks. Now you've been really. Uh, mm. These are these are becoming the things that you get taken out of a match if they're not doing tight yeah. and snug. Interesting that. We get the rolling thunder onto the ladder from Rob as well. Rob does some insane things to himself in this match. And I think there's a slight element of the main things these guys do in this match. They almost do them to themselves. Mm. Like Tommy's big spot with the ladder he does to himself. Rob's big spot with the ladder he kind of does to himself. And it's more of a kind of an exhibition of what these guys typically would do to themselves. Yeah. Than it being a... Like, it doesn't feel as much of a contest, this one, in retrospect, yeah. you know? But I just was so happy to hear the fans react to this, you know, and, like, really build momentum mm. for a guy like Tommy who they didn't really appreciate as an actual wrestler at that point in time, I guess. We get a fucking insane five-star frog splash from Rob. He picks up the victory. There are tears. There are hugs. As Tommy is walking away, he does Rob's Rob Van Dam pose mm -hmm. as well. And the crowd are chanting ECW, and JR once again reminds us, last hardcore match ever, Never folks. say it again, folks. So, uh, obviously, Tommy's got a long career. <laughs> and also, as well, I've just received word from general manager Bischoff, no more weird things are allowed to be eaten either. <laughs> or weird guys. No more weird guys either. No, right no more guys in t-shirts either. No. That sucks. So, <laughs> I feel like this match, when I was watching it, I was like... I have moved on and times have moved on. Because mm. this for me was like... Well, at the time you watched this, you may know. Yeah, no, no, no. At the time I watched this, I was like, ECW's coming back, baby. This, that style is back. Yeah. But watching this in 2023, I was like... Yeah. It's gone. That, like, whatever this was, it's like, it was great for the time, but I think it is in the past. Yeah. You know, I do like seeing the homages in an AEW or whatever, mm. you know, but I think... Well, I think AEW thematically fits it more than wwe yeah it it felt like this was aggressively not what you were seeing on the show at the time it's way too shiny shiny it's it's just different production values different yeah. priorities different branding it just does not fit i was wondering if at least the camaraderie the 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 between these two the the, the obvious love and the tears and whatnot or were you getting numb to tommy tears at this point no i mean it was fine it was nice yeah, yeah. fine yeah sure i don't, don't really care like didn't add anything to the match so how'd you get on with this one then um look, i thought the wrestling itself was good it was nice to see tommy actually wrestle yeah even though i didn't think it worked in this match <laughs> it's cool to see that he can but it just felt so weird for them to be evenly matched at the start considering this was such a short match yeah it was only like 10 or so minutes i think because again i really feel that tommy dreamer's strengths are the fact that he can outlast anyone he he can just keep getting back up again yeah. And then for him to lose really quickly after an even matchup mm. felt psychologically wrong. Yeah, like I get just you. not. It hasn't been fully formed. This match felt like maybe the, the end was changed or it was rushed through booking or whatever. I don't know. I gave it three stars out of five. Okay, that's more than I yeah. thought you would. To yeah, be well, the, the, the wrestling itself was good. And I say, if you do want a shiny WWE hardcore match, this is that mm. in, in, in so many words, I believe. 
So yeah, Tommy, around this time, he actually retires from in-ring competition shortly thereafter because he's given an office job. He becomes a talent scout for WWE for their folks down in OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling. And he would have been working closely with Heyman at that time. I tried to find out as much as I could about this and I found very, very little. Hmm. Other than, A, Tommy didn't like working in an office and B, most of the wrestlers seem to view him as some sort of a piece of shit office stooge right who they really didn't get on well with mm. so he was apparently just getting heat and all that the idea of tommy dreamer working in the offices right down the hall from vince mcmahon is like some sort of a you got the bad ending yeah you should have spent more time collecting flowers and fishing <laughs> in, in bokono yatsu but bokono natsu natsu yasume well done thank you very much my summer vacation in philadelphia <laughs> but yeah it felt like that's not that's not right that's like tommy dreamer selling out man you know i think the funniest thing about that was him talking about when he had done a match around the time it was the first ecw one night stand where he got hit really hard in the ear oh, with a yeah. kendo stick and he's like i was sitting in the office writing up paychecks hoping my ear would fall off so well I because could, to be clear a doctor did say your ear your might fall, fall off, off at some yeah. point yeah so i could go mr mcmahon i'm down the hallway and I'm doing my office work, and my ear just fell he off. He wants to take it to Vince and show him like a cat with a mouse. Like, look, mommy, I did this for you. And Mick Foley's like, that's my gimmick, brother. You can blow up yeah. my spot. Come on, ears <laughs> being found is my thing. Come on, man. <laughs> so, yes, he is um, tasked after the ECW documentary comes out and is wildly successful. And then they do the pay-per-view, the one-off, one-night stand. And it was a really nice coming-together moment. I think... We've probably done enough ECW stuff now that we could do that for a pay-per-view classic. And I think it would really, you'd really ring true for a lack of a better term. Cool. But uh, yeah, he's then tasked with, look, Vince thinks that there is potential here with this ECW brand as a third brand. There's an offer for a weekly television show. Well, it's really nice and hot. You know, fans are still really invested in the yeah. ECW brand. I know, it's way a whole uh, year. Seven years after it shut down, was it? it was, well, it would have been five years after it shut oh, down. Okay. Five and a half, I guess. Right, yeah, so. But yeah, the, the important thing is, is that they did the reunion show. It was super hot. Yeah. And then they did nothing for a year. Yeah. And then they did the relaunch of the brand. And Tommy was saying in these interviews we watched where he was like, man... I aged in every single one of those matches. Vince McMahon was not in the headsets. It was me. Me and Paul put the whole show together. We booked it. We got in all the talent. We did everything. And we got this really big buy rate, second only to WrestleMania that year. And he's like, but Vince never never told me I did a good job. I'm like, mate, if you think Paul Heyman is a hard-to-please boss, <laughs> Vince McMahon is never going to tell anyone, least of all the lad in the ECW t-shirt. No. Hell of a job. You really outshone my style of wrestling there. Especially knowing as I'm sure Vince could tell how to motivate someone like Tommy. If you give him the compliments, then what's he going to, he's going to want money next, right? Like he's not on his radar. Yeah. You know, Vince McMahon views Tommy Dreamer as being some sort of an appendage of Paul Heyman. Who's a guy you can barely tolerate. Yeah. If, his, if his daughter is not in the room with him at the same time. <laughs> so the relaunch comes and Tommy's again, like, all right, Tommy, you got an office job again. Here you go. You're going to sit up in, in Stanford. You're going to book this show with Paul Heyman. And he said that he knew it was all over after the first show. And I think the ECW relaunch is an episode in its own right. It didn't work out very well, Joe. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you remember much from the Sandman episodes or from our 
ECW December to Dismember pay-per-view review. Mm. Much about that brand? No, not much. Just that it wasn't wasn't good. You did give five stars, I believe, to a match involving a vampire and a nineteen-year-old stripper. I did not. You. I don't know why you're convinced. <laughs> I gave. I gave it two stars. Sorry, two stars. I don't know why you're convinced. I gave it five stars <laughs> because you have randomly done chaos joker style ratings and yeah. i'm convinced that was one of no, them no it wasn't i checked you checked oh yeah of course you've got a you've got a record of I, do. I keep a record i'm sorry i yeah. apologize we... i think my review was boobs and i gave it two stars for the for the two boobs yeah and i'm pretty sure as well that was the show where the main event you had the idea of putting on the music from persona 5 because yeah. it was too boring otherwise got quite a good score after you that did, though. yeah i think you got like four out of five i think it made you a fan of bobby lashley yeah that thing maybe went sum it up quite well. Mm. Bobby Lashley's your boy. In ECW. Yeah. The ECW champion. No. Bobby Lashley. No. Feuding with the big show. No. That's not ECW. I don't like that. And neither is this. Keep that nice young man away from those dirty rascals. <laughs> and yeah, that's not ECW. And neither is this. I just, I wanted to find a match that I knew was a competent match. Yeah. But was from late in the ECW relaunch cycle. Because... The fate of Tommy Dreamer was still linked to this brand. And as Sabu was fired, as Rob Van Dam retired, as Sandman was drafted to Raw and then was fired, as Balls Mahoney hung on for a long time and then was fired. Heck, even as CM Punk, the kind of the new breed or whatever ECW went to another brand, Tommy Dreamer was still there in the new ECW shirt. The last thing tangentially related to this brand. The only way you would know this was ECW was because once a night, if Tommy was on the show, he would go, E-C-W. He did do a gimmick at one point where he was like, look, if I can't win the ECW championship, I'm going to retire because there's nothing left to do in my career. And he did get the belt briefly. And uh, he lost it again. Okay. And this is his rematch for that belt. All right. Taking on Christian. As ECW as it gets. This is from WWE's ECW on the 4th of August 2009. Tommy Dreamer, Christian, ECW Championship. I thought these two would have a final match because, heck, they're two good wrestlers in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has potential. I thought that if the first match was that we did was just going to be purely riding the the adrenaline the vibe of ecw at its hottest i wanted to see tommy in there with really good opponents Mm. hence why i went with the rob match here again with christian this was recommended as a as kind of a later tommy dreamer match yeah that maybe was a with a competent opponent and they both come out with their own special gimmicks joe yeah so tommy's got a hot dog cart yeah wheels out and christian's got a car door now these are two interesting weapons, I would yeah. say. You know, I will say, disappointingly, this hot dog cart barely gets a look in this I entire know, match. really disappointing. I don't even think there's real hot... There's like one hot dog in Maybe there. Maybe one, yeah. yeah. He has a bite of one and then uses it as a weapon on Christian. And then throws it into the crowd. <laughs> one fan's going home happy here yeah, tonight. Yeah, lucky boy. I know it's difficult to try and sum up in so many words, but what's the vibe of this wrestling show that we're watching? Mm, it's kind of wwe vibe it's shiny shiny high production uh very well lit very well lit jesus christ looks clean it is early era hd television yeah those colors gotta pop for the people yeah. who've got uh high contrast televisions yeah definitely it's uh yeah colorful would you say even this is an extreme rules match so we're trying to get you know hardcore mm. or extreme the ecw uh, uh term being used there mm. 
how do they do in terms of conveying that kind of atmosphere? Like, Atmosphere-wise, is it extreme if we were to use that term? No. What happens here then? Like, what 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 is working against this? Well, right off the bat, we get a "We Want Tables" chant. Hey, hey, that's quite extreme. Yeah, yeah, but they are carrying a car door and a hot dog cart, so I, I yeah, car door and hot dog cart. Mm. That screams kind of like WWE comedy hardcore, well, not ECW. I brought my own crutch to the arena. Yeah. Please use it, Tommy. I don't know as well. I think when I think of ECW and using like weird things, I think of them already being there yeah. rather than I brought this from home especially if that thing is a hot dog car i don't know i thought that was a rib on tommy yeah i think like, it was ah, come out with your hot dog car aren't you? you love hot dogs yeah, don't you, you tommy? Hot dogs, yeah i don't know i just it was odd this match because it's not as if it's not hard hitting christian in particular mm. takes a monumental amount of tumbles he goes off the top rope to the outside multiple times yeah. he gets smashed into that hot dog cart to the point where you could see all the welts and marks under the shellac-like layers of fake tan on Christian's body. He yeah. was really throwing himself into the wind here. Disappointed that when he was thrown into the hot dog cart, hot dogs didn't spill out. <laughs> and then he like, yeah, slip on those. I wanted to see that. You know what did it in for me? Mm. It was these announcers. Oh my God, they were awful. This was, I think, the worst announcing mm-hmm. ever. Because the audience are actually, the audience are quiet-ish, but they do... They when pop occasionally. They yeah. will pop for stuff, but mm. I feel like these. What happened with these announcements? It's Matt Stryker, yeah. former wrestler, and Josh Matthews, former runner up on Tough Enough and former wrestler. And the vibe ain't right. Something's wrong with these two. No, it's really weird. It feels like it's been written by an AI. Because the stuff they do say, and they don't say very much, it's mostly silent. They mutter. They, they mutter, mm-hmm. yeah. And they talk into themselves. It's like weird this. things they say. I've got one of them written down. Someone on commentary, I don't know who it was, explaining... Because they sound exactly... the Way to find do. two announcers who find it sound exactly the fucking same. But they same. don't talk to each other. No. That's, again, why it seems like an AI, because it's like talking at someone else. As a user. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's a moment where they have like a trash can, and I hate trash can spots, because I feel like I could just sit on one of them and it would crumple. Like you it's mean, just made of nothing. Will. It's aluminium. Absolutely, it could. Yeah. But there's a moment where Christian gets thrown into a trash can, and then he gets hit with a weapon of some kind oh this is when christian goes into the bin yeah i love that spot spot. yeah Yeah. like he really like he makes himself into a liquid like a like right in there and then tommy hits him with like a kendo stick on the trash can but the commentary is weird they're like christian couldn't tell he was going to get hit there because it's dark inside because it's dark in there what and that again like that's like an ai understanding of why that spot would be interesting it's not that's not why it's interesting is it I it's mean, not because it's dark in there. I, he's literally inside a bin. I hate when you've got like a low energy match and the crowd are like, oh, and you've got an answer. He's like, can you believe what's just happened? Yeah. Oh my God. Like that always comes across as disingenuous. But when something cool happens in a wrestling match and the audience go, whoa. But they're like, like, oh, if only there was a little mm. light bulb inside that bin because then he would have seen the well, next attack. You are probably like a Philistine thinking about the fact that he was in a bin and it looks silly, but it's no laughing matter. Because it was, it was dark in there. Yes, he was taking out the trash, so to speak. But Christian is far from trash. He's the world champion. And this is a an untoward situation. It just felt like we were so far removed. Not even from ECW. I feel like if this was on Raw, you wouldn't have like Michael Cole and King being like, oh, well, 
course, they would be like, oh my god, whoa, oh my. It feels as well like... Are you not allowed to have a certain amount of enthusiasm? I mean, I just sort of thought with this commentary, you would have had Vince screaming in their headsets, like, you know, shouting at things for them to say. Yeah. And it feels like that's not... And I'm not saying that's always a good thing. I think that can be a bad thing. Mm. But it feels like that's not happening at all and they're not being told anything. And they're just like... It feels like they're on their phone. It feels like they're embarrassed to yeah. be calling this. Like when Tommy does his ECW chant in the corner and he looks like he's about to burst into tears, I felt miserable. Mm. I felt so sad. I felt like, there's an obscure reference, but you know in the Yakuza games where you meet the guy who plays the pocket racing uh, mini game, yeah. the guy who does the Scalectrics, and you meet him in the 80s and he's all like bright-eyed and happy and excitable, yeah. even though you're like, you make no money, what's going on? And then you go back later in years and he's like, really sad and pathetic and he's like i still do it <sighs> my wife thinks i she thinks i'm ridiculous because i've never made any money we can't afford to live in a house and look tommy's making fine fine money here probably the best money of his career at this point hmm. but jesus christ it's it, between the commentators and the the crowd being slightly cool and him being like this still works and he he always has that look when he's been worked over he'll do that teary-eyed look in his face and it made me sad. Mm. It made me really, really sad. And it probably explained a good deal why I cooled off on a lot of wrestling at this point. Because it didn't feel like a good time to be an ECW fan. Yeah. They ground that out of us slowly. We get some spots on the door at the end, which the announcers masterfully undersell with their mm. lack of enthusiasm. Even though, like, man, when they take that kill switch onto that, like... Tommy goes face first onto a car door. It goes bonk and fucking wobbles. It looks sore. There's a time as well where he's like trapped underneath the car door. Yeah. Christian does like a big, I can't remember if it's like a moonsault or something on top of it, which again, like, Oh, ow. both men. Yeah. Yeah, so like these lads both went out and really fucking, they, they did more damage than a mm. typical match. But the commentary's just like, car door there. Cars are... Mode of transport that we. Well, use. these fans probably thinking about about the parking situation and mm. leaving now. I know I am. I know I am. Well, no, I'm leaving before you get out of well, here. That's a bit, no. bit intense there. Oh, sorry. Bring that down. Sorry, I've got to check my phone here again. Just, just look online about the top parking rates and see if we can leave early. This was probably a match. I normal normally watch this match. I think if you had a competent announcing, regular situation. Regular wrestling show, any other wrestling show, but because this was, there was ECW written in the mat and on the corner, this felt like so, like, I think as well, after having watched so much, like, classic ECW stuff, would, yeah. I felt it, I felt it singe quite badly here, because mm. I've been doing 2006 ECW with Adam, and Jesus Christ, at least there's, like, you know, dark lighting, and it's kind of gritty and vaguely ECW-y, this is, why are you using those letters? Yeah. How'd you get on with it? I struggled to rate this for the reasons we just mentioned. <laughs> the wrestling itself was really good, but the commentary was so bad. And it's kind of a unique position for me because I am the first person to admit I don't really pay attention to commentary. So really, it shouldn't impact me, the bad yeah, commentary, because I, I don't listen to, to it. it. Yeah, that's turns, how bad it was. Turns out when it's... When it's bad or when it's not there, I really do notice. And it makes me think that maybe it's less about what they say and more how they say it for me with commentary. Like, I feel it just needs to be like, oh. You just want Taz going, oh. oh. Yeah, pretty much. Joe's dream announced team is Larry Nelson from the AWA yeah. and Taz going, oh, yeah. every other move. Gambag Jones over there. <laughs> That's all I want. And instead we got kind of awkward silence. Yeah, but I think like the commentary, it's like, 
you mentioned Vince and the headsets. The commentary is just a conduit for what the company wants you to feel about this brand. Yeah. And what they want you to feel is, eh? Mm. They don't know. And it's weird because I think like ECW is something that you, even in 09, after three years of a failed reboot, there was money to be made in it. Yeah. You know? So what rating did you give us? Two and a half stars. You're a generous woman. I am on time. I'm very regretting nice. that score. <laughs> Case in point that there was still money to be made by this. And this is one of my favourite fucking backwards stories in wrestling history of all time. Tommy leaves ECW a couple of months later. He does the, the honours on the way out. Says that he's going to job to a, an up and coming superstar in, on ECW. Puts his career on the line against Zack Ryder and loses. And... Now off he went into the over the hill into the sunset, and uh, at the time TNA, now known as Impact Wrestling, was being controlled, executive produced, I should say, by Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff, who decided one of the best things that we could really do to figure out what these fans really want, so we can beat WWE when we go head to head with them on Monday nights. We do a little bit of market research. So they got in a bunch of rando wrestling fans off the streets, sat them down and did extensive chats with them with a market researcher, talked about what do you like about wrestling? What do you miss from wrestling? What was mm. your favorite? And I think the sample size may have been a bit skewed. Yeah. Because all the enthusiastic male wrestling fans they brought in all wanted one thing, Joe. In 2010, they wanted ECW, baby. Mm, okay. So... Four years after WWE's last one, and nine years after the company went out of business, TNA did Hardcore Justice, their own ECW reunion show. Okay. The only difference being that they couldn't have any of the copyrights. Right. So they had to kind of sidestep all that, and mm. no one could be called what they were, and they had a weird blue light on the whole thing. Tommy, oh. Tommy was involved with it, yeah. and they thought this is going to be a huge success. The pay-per-view wasn't really that successful, but they had the market research, damn it. So then they formed a faction called EV 2.0, which was all the old ECW guys all joined up together. What's EV stand for? Extreme version 2.0. Okay. So you would have these weird times where you had like Hulk Hogan coming out being like, ECW's nothing, brother. It's irrelevant. No one likes it. And then all these lads in their late 40s are like, actually, we're pretty badass. And then they just got beat all the time. So TNA tried to capitalize again. And, you know, Tommy even started his own promotion, House of Hardcore, that is basically an ECW tribute act. Right. Would you want to see an ECW tribute show? Now You now knowing as much as you do about ECW, is that a vibe you'd like to see try to be emulated at a wrestling show? Depends on how you would define something like that. Because I feel, for me, what makes ECW ECW cannot be replicated without a lot of money. Yeah. So (laughs) I feel in terms of like the extreme, dirty, intensity stuff, you kind of get that with GCW and it's not really my thing. Yeah, that that style of wrestling definitely exists. Yeah. Yeah. And if you like the kind of, oh, we're using a lot of really famous music and a lot of uh, intellectual property that is now very expensive, I feel like AEW kind of does a bit of that. And I hope someday we get a Sandman spot with... Um, yeah, enter Sandman for and sure stuff. and I think we will yeah I think so because I don't really expect any of the original ECW guys to do matches at this point I want them to come out to their music walk around a bit yeah maybe throw a chair at someone I think Sabu and AEW was a really good example yeah. of like look he can just about do this let him do it it's yeah. gonna be interesting because we'll I think we'll be seeing Rob Van Dam wrestle in the uh, Wembley show well I take nothing for granted at this point no, in time with that true. Wembley show but yeah 
Rob coming out to walk is yeah big and vibes off of that. I'll be interested to see how well he can still wrestle because I know he does. He's he is active to this day, yeah. unlike a lot of his compatriots. So well, it'll be interesting to see. It just makes me think. I know Adam and Billy went to a gig recently where it was them playing there's a, a cover band that plays all the music from like tony hawk's pro skater yeah. two and three or whatnot and i'm like i feel that wrestling has been chasing that kind of attempt to do like a tribute show mm. for many years it's so hard because of the ips it's That's all owned it. by wwe and wwe are never gonna they're the wrong company if they sold the ip to aew then i would get maybe a bit more interested maybe. in the idea but i don't but think I just wwe don't are ever think... selling anything like that no, no and it's just not it doesn't suit their brand and their values no. and stuff and like quite right they sh- it shouldn't it doesn't it's nothing to do with them and it never has been and it shouldn't do i don't think a brand has had more damage done to it and its ability to make money has been ravaged quite like ecw because everyone's had to go yeah like every like, tommy dreamer had his own promotion house of hardcore which mm. we mentioned and if you listen to him talk about it, it's like hey it's my vision of wrestling which is like that's kind of what ecw was you and yeah. paul's vision of wrestling but like shane douglas had his own hardcore promotion as well you know mm. and that's all his vision of ecw because he was an ecw and he had a vision there as well. like everyone wants to have that and when the big companies came in i thought there's nothing quite as cynical as Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan trying to make money out of ECW. Mm. Like, I was literally talking earlier about him signing people for yucks to cut the legs out of that company. Yeah. But Tommy still has a place for himself in wrestling, even if divorcing ECW from that is difficult. And that brings us to our last match today, which is Tommy Dreamer versus the phenomenal AJ Styles from TNA Sacrifice in 2011. An attempt to use Tommy in wrestling storylines that has nothing to do with ECW for probably the first time since he was eating weird things on the floor. And you know it's you know it's TNA, brother, when you've got <laughs> Eric Bischoff's kid as the referee in this one. That's so funny. The ultimate Nepo baby, yeah. like fucking hell, Amazing. man. Let me tell you, Joe, them AJ Styles rare entrance pants. Not many wrestlers rocking the entrance pants these days. Yeah, I liked that. The uh, stripper pants. I No, they aren't not poppers, though. Didn't they come right off? No, he literally had to, like... Oh, did he have to step he out to of them? step out of them. He did it quick. Like, they were, like, waterproofs, and he was, you know, somewhere with yeah. heavy rainfall, and he wanted to go biking, you know? Yeah, I like the idea of entrance pants. How's Tommy aged here, then? 2011? We're well, 10 years since the end of, uh, end of uh, his run in ECW? He's aged well. He looks good. And you know what company he's in? Because it's written on his shirt, isn't it? It says yeah. TNA. It says TNA on Impact it. Impact on it there. So yeah. it's very handy of him to do that. We noticed as well that he had some Japanese writing on his leg. Yeah, baby. It's like the stupidest thing in wrestling where I think it started around this time. It's probably been going back since the year dot. But if you were someone like a Mike Awesome or a Dr. Death or a Stan Henson or whatever, you made your bread and butter in Japan. That's where you made your name, your legacy. Yeah. And then you come over here okay, pop a few kanji on there. I'm not going to bat an eyelid. But it's when every fucker who thinks that Japan is cool comes mm. out. And look, I know Tommy did wrestle in Japan. He did stuff with FMW and, and all that. Oh, right. But <laughs> he shouldn't have fucking Japanese writing on his trousers, should he? I mean, I think we can all agree that it looks really cool. Like, Japanese letters or more accurately uh logo graphic characters is actually what they are not letters oh excuse me yeah like like in mandarin as well they're also logo graphic characters okay. or cuneiform is also logo graphic characters i like that word not letters letters is different they do look really cool they look really aesthetically pleasing 
Um, I know in certain countries, like in Japan and China, they think the same of like our alphabet. Oh yeah, we, I mean, because you I and think I, it's really funny because I think our alphabet looks like shit. We we watch a shitload of Japanese programming. Yeah, and yeah, you know, we we always laugh when we see like the kind of de- them co-opting yeah. the, the English languages as we have just for like. Why is it on here? Because it's a cool shirt. Yeah. Case they, in point, I think Tommy Dreamer had a jacket. You were telling me in Japan. Yes. <laughs> he had apparently a jacket in Japan. He they told him at the time that it said Tommy Dreamer, and he was like, "Oh, that's so cool that you went out of your way for me." Turns out it said Road Warrior Animal <laughs> on the back. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, he uh, he did the All You Can Eat challenge twice, so he got two Ribera Steakhouse jackets. Yeah. So he just gave you the spare, brother. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be interesting, though, to see what they said, his pants, in Japanese. Because I know very, I know a little bit of Japanese. Very, very, very little. I've been trying to learn some of their, inverted commas, alphabets. Yes. Because they have a few different ones. Not kanji. That's the more complex kanji one. Kanji is a really complicated one, which has like 900 characters and has roots in, in Chinese. They have two other ones, katakana and hiragana. And katakana is what it is written on his pants. Okay. And it's generally used for words that come from outside of Japan. Oh, okay. So for instance, if or they like were... phonetic, kind of like spelling out Yeah, stuff kind of. So say um, the word radio, I think, if I might be think- right in thinking that that doesn't exist in like native Japanese. So they would spell that with katakana, spelling out ra, de, like okay. as, as close as they can get, I think. Look, Joe's not an expert, I'm but not. she knows enough to be able to tell me when Tajiri says something is cool in 2001 uh, yeah, Smackdown. Like one of the so. few things I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a look at his uh, his letters on his leg, and they you were like, oh, I bet they spell his name. Yeah, I thought it would be like Dreamer or Tommy. Yeah. You know, or, or ECW. Yeah. <laughs> or Impact Wrestling, whatever. So sure enough, they say, Tame do rima. That's cool. Right, yeah. Well, well, it's kind of cool, but also... It's... Damn it, I just re- I showed my hand. It's, I mean, no, it's not <laughs> it's cool. It's awful, no. It's <laughs> no, it, it, it only looks cool, but if you were Japanese, I think you'd look at that and be like, huh? Because they've rotated the letters. I Right, so I've got a theory that they rotated it because the first letter, uh, ta, is, um, it looks kind of like a T. So I think they've rotated it to make it look more like a T. Ah, okay. And then they just rotated all the others as well. So everything's rotated 90 degrees. But in fairness, though, if you had Dreamer written down the side of your pants, yeah. the D could be facing either direction. It could be horizontal or vertical. It would still read to me as the wrestling fan who reads trousers. Except in Japanese, if you rotate certain letters, they become, oh, they become other, letters. other letters. Okay. So by rotating Ta, it actually becomes E. So what's his so name? So then actually? it would say Imi Imi Dorima. Imi. But it gets more complicated because it's Imi's. It's, it's written vertically down his leg, which is how Japanese writing is written. It's vertically top down and then right to left. So they've done that correct, but then when you read it top down because it's rotated, it becomes wrong again. But then if he takes a, a like a slam on the ground, and he sticks his leg out, so he's sitting down. It becomes right again, except it also becomes wrong because then it becomes read horizontally, 
left to right. Oh, okay. See, what I thought you were going to say was that it can only be read when he's flattened his back. And it was like the, the pants maker was taking a dig at Tommy saying, you're a jobber, Tommy. You're always on your back looking up at the lights. That's why I wrote it so it can only be read when you're on the ground. There is no way in which it is written 100% correct. I mean... He's gotten... It, no matter which direction you read it from, it's somehow a bit wrong. It was a lot more correct than I thought it would be because I was expecting yeah. all sorts. When he... <laughs> My only regret is not checking up to see what those characters mean. Because mm. like, obviously they would might form their own words right, in yeah, Japanese. Yeah. There could but... be inferred meaning on his trousers. Yeah, but who knows? Saying. It could be hot dog man on there. We don't know what, what those letters are. <laughs> or it could say Road Warrior Hawk. could say Road Warrior Hawk, yeah. complete at the set. <laughs> so this match is a no DQ match. And we are in the situation where Dreamer is meant to be playing... Not a heel, but this kind of conflicted, uh, this conflicted babyface character who he remembers when he was in EV2 that AJ Styles and his gang were like beating up on him and he wants to kind of get some respect back for himself independently of his group, which works kind of against the commentary because Taz literally, the first chance he gets when EV2 is brought up, he's like, yeah, best we forget about that. That was kind of dumb. <laughs> EV2 <laughs> okay Burying okay it. and like later on he, there's a bit where, where he gets he keeps getting corrected by Mike today and he's like you gotta you got keep correcting me always correcting me I, I know, no, you're doing your job though Mike it's okay <laughs> but like uh, you stop for literally one second it's a different form like what happened to wrestling announcing in this time period I don't know everyone hated everyone dark sided but the fun bit about this being an ODQ match means that early on Tommy Dreamer is like in a chin lock and he's up against the ropes and he's going ah ah and the referee goes i'm sorry tommy it's no dq there's no rope breaks i can't do anything and tommy goes ah let go and aj goes all right <laughs> i love goes. that it's like literally like, get off me get, get off it's literally like younger brother to his it older works brother sometimes it i liked work. it it does work it was a bit awkward, but I did like it. For it some showed reason. that AJ was kind of had this kind of slight begrudging respect, I guess. Well, at because least. AJ at the same time is like, get up and wrestle. Come on, wrestle. I like this kind of um... effective heel work. Yeah, I thought AJ did a lot in this match to try and like naturally bring out the aggression in Tommy yeah. because it wasn't just. You know, when I stuck this match on, I thought we were going to get, like, before where Tommy and, you know, AJ, like, with Rob Van Dam, they do their little wrestling spots and yeah. then pose off. But instead, it's, like, AJ being like, come on, Mr. Innovator of Violence, let's mm. see what's so fucking great about you. And Tommy getting kind of frustrated and getting angry. Dare I say, a little bit of subtlety in this story, which mm. I wasn't expecting, really, from Tommy Dreamer yeah. at this stage of the game. They go out and wrestle in the crowd for a bit. And let me tell you, AJ Styles is a just a fucking beast at this point in time he's 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 can't so make good. a mistake it feels like but my favorite bit here is where he crawls backwards underneath the bottom of the barricade like he was rewound no, it was like a cat like he became a cat like he became a liquid and was like Unbelievable. i don't know how he made how did he make himself so small he's just got like extra articulation aj styles i believe yeah you know he has he has that skill set within him fascinating i feel like he could crawl underneath our door you know like <laughs> like a gas just check your house right now if it's not sealed up yeah drafts, AJ... <laughs> drafts and aj styles may come through carbon monoxide and the phenomenal aj styles are the silent <laughs> killers it's one for my irish listeners out there uh, dreamer does get doused in soda early on Sticky. I don't, yeah, I don't know what it is, but like, if someone gets beer thrown at them, I'm like, wait. That's even stickier. I know, but like, it's a soda. I was like, oh no, aspartame in his hair. <laughs> Tommy's hair dissolves as this match goes on. Yeah. This poor man. And I, I don't, I'm not saying this to rag on him. No, no. I think it is an 
interesting look at how certain wrestlers react to the thinning hair. Mm. Now, I don't know if Tommy's had hair plugs or not. No, we've tried to find this out. But I will say, Tommy clearly saw this match and his life and his hairstyle took a turn afterwards. I think he's always known he was balding. Oh yeah, he, he always has had a bit. I, he makes comments throughout, like, back in... What year is this? This is uh, 2011. Oh no, I think you're right, it might be around this time. That's yeah. the earliest I found on Twitter, him complaining about being bald. Yeah, Tommy does kind of... He's quite self-conscious, but also in that kind of ha-ha. Like, yeah. Tommy's always calling himself fat, calling himself bald, X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. His best friend, Bully Ray, is like, Hey, Tommy Dreamer, you fat, bald motherfucker. Yeah, yeah good one, man. Hey, you're kind of shut up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, good one, man. You really got me. But I will say, Tommy Dreamer, the innovator of the double man bun, if not the innovator of violence, and the slick back hair, shellacked with the thick gel and the hairspray. Mm. He looked a bit like Macho Man in his later years here. But man, oh man, has he turned a corner. That is amazing. If you're thinning your hair on top, Tommy Dreamer is the man to look to. Because well, he found a way. We don't know how he's done it. We don't know how. Maybe, maybe if you get him on Cameo or something like yeah, that. Yeah, asking for his secrets. <laughs> My criticism actually with this point of his career is because at one point his top gets pulled off. Yes, it gets ripped open. Yeah. After and, he gets hit in the balls because this is how to dream Yeah, obviously, all. yeah. And he has a compression shirt underneath. That also has uh, Japanese writing on it. Yeah, it does. Same thing. <laughs> he, got, he got the set. He got the set. I did not like the compression top and I feel it's a shame that he feels he even needs to wear one because he doesn't and I think he should embrace the fact that he's a big guy. It's authentic. It's part of his brand, right? Let he's like, the hair come in on your chest. He's and a beer no daddy. Will... Yeah. Like I know he's not like a heavy drinker or anything but that's even more reason I think to like lean into the fact that you've got a little bit of a beer gut because it's not like we look at him and we're like, oh God, we think of a drinking problem. It's like, no, it's a guy who knocks back a, a beer at the weekend. He's fine. Yeah, I think he, the, the dad bod should some, be embraced. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he'd be a, he'd be sexy to like embrace it Heck as well. Yeah. Especially if he didn't, if he stopped dyeing his hair, that stupid black colour. That's the thing. As later and later and later into the careers we went with Tommy, the hair has become more boot polishy. He looks the, more of a guido now yeah. than he ever did in his youth. And he had the self-tan to a, to a ludicrous degree. Ridiculous. Uh, to, actually, I will say it's not just fake tanning Tommy has had three bouts with skin cancer oh god really yeah and it's off he's literally like yeah don't do tanning beds boys and girls and like Good, yeah, yeah I would have stopped after about one with skin cancer but yeah. he's had like it in his shoulder he's had it on his uh, <gasps> top of his head he had to have uh, oh. and you know that's the type of you know skin cancer they say it's the best kind of cancer you can get which is like literally like one of the I worst know. things you could possibly imagine there's a good type of cancer but it's the type where it's had to be removed, mm. you know. So he's he's been through the ringer, and that, that must have affected his hair as well. I would think so. Because yeah, they. I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if there was hair. some sort of a hair plug reconstruction type thing there. Mm, but you know, the double man bun. Wait for yeah. Go. No, I would if I was him, or if I could control him, I would have him embrace the fact that he's balding and going grey, and he's got a tummy on him. And let him rock it with a top. Because he talks often about his career and he's like, oh yeah, I'd never wrestled my top off, even my best shape. Like, why? Embrace it. You look great. I think, I remember when uh, Evil Uno in AEW recently, who if you don't know, he's a kind of like a more, you know, stocky wrestler or whatever. He changed his gear so he was wearing uh, like kind of high-waisted tights and he wore uh, like a vest over it as yeah. opposed to like, he wore this kind of big gilet thing before. Mm. And fuck me, they were out with their pitchforks and torches immediately, Disco Inferno and all the all the, the great intellectual minds of wrestling Twitter 
saying like, oh, the, the fat fucker was, how dare he come on my screen, Jesus. you know, jiggling around. It makes me fucking sick. I'm like, Christ alive. I, you know what? We just sit and hope and wait that like all, like as wrestling and time moves on, that those people will either get sick and tired of wrestling and just go away from it. But we're still are being they all held. Are very young people? No, no, no. These are all, this Inferno's fucking old as Tommy Dreamer. What? Those girls have massive body issues. That's it. Like... It's all it is. It's this fucking, this yeah, weird feedback loop. Yeah. Ah, it's a thing that I'm worried I'd be make fun of quickly. <laughs> tweet, 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 tweet. Let's give everyone eating disorders. That's cool. It's messed up. So messed up. And it's a, yeah, it's a real shame because I feel he would have looked so much cooler if he'd just like allowed himself to age properly We've like a normal man so many times on this uh on this podcast but like i, I acknowledge don't age naturally yeah like. i acknowledge that like drew mcintyre is trying to sell a certain image of himself and maybe he doesn't want to go the gray and well, stuff it, because it actually targets only the gray yeah, sure. it says here right yeah. in the box but like why actually, would they sponsor SummerSlam otherwise it actually lends itself to tommy's own gimmick to let yeah. himself be the age. Yeah, you are the everyman. These you'll get so many more people looking to you and be like, yeah, he's like me. If you let yourself be normal. This is how Tommy went from being like literally your dad to the wacky neighbor down the yeah. road who has his barbecues and has got interesting hair. Yeah. <laughs> there is a moment in this where they're brawling up in the crowd and there's a TNA sign which Tommy rips off, assuming that it's made of an actual material and he hits AJ with it and it's literally <laughs> made of cardboard and yeah. not even good cardboard no. and it just kind of goes yeah and then that gets an ECW chance <laughs> which leads to, to my question where it's like I know a lot of indies like you know like weekend type of you know just a little local show mm. send the fan you know family show not not a high octane proper work rate indie just kind of a fun little wrestling show where they'll bring on an ECW guy and they want hey get the fans to chant ECW because it means fans are making noise they'll probably buy your gimmicks afterwards at the table but if you're in tna and tommy dreamer getting on offense makes your 3000 strong audience all chant ecw which is literally the name of a tv show that is on another channel Mm -hmm. like that's kind of not really working for your brand's benefit is it i wouldn't be rushing to put a tommy dreamer who is mr ecw on my screen because people are going to chant the name of another company or the name of another video library. Yeah. It just, it's nostalgia that doesn't really work. I think nostalgia can be in service of your current product. Mm. But I think that type of nostalgia is like, well, they're not chanting EV2. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nor did they ever. They bring out a table, which makes the chant of we want fire immediately start. Yeah, the fans don't know what they want. I think AJ Styles is... The consummate professional as always, because this table breaks immediately. Yeah. The leg goes on it. Doesn't make this man sweat. Makes it better. Yeah. He's like, great, a ramp. Like, when Sabu saw, saw this, he'd be like, I don't know, there's other tables I'm going home. Yeah, like, bye. <laughs> no, AJ Styles, he runs up the wonky table and does a big leap punch to Tommy. Yeah, it's like that phenomenal forearm yeah, that he does. so good. Fantastic. It's so cool. Yeah, they do like a couple of other spots with it. We then have bullshit interference that is not particularly explained on commentary. Bully Ray comes out and interferes. And then we get the pile driver on the table by Tommy. I think the pile driver on the just barely off the ground broken table was really sick. He was mm. a big sit. He uses his big ass just to go. Really cool spot. Tommy. I, I wrote down, how did Tommy Dreamer beat AJ Styles? But he did. Yeah. And this was, you know, there was a, a spot with the fork as well that they did oh, that was yeah. 
really like proper that reminds me of like you know pre-ecw hardcore time like abdullah the butcher type it 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 really worked well of bringing me up bringing me down mm. i felt a lot of different emotions it was a not a typical tommy dreamer match but i thought it was really well done and showing a little element to his game but also i came away from this mainly being like God damn that AJ Styles can work with literally anyone, can't he? You know? <laughs> but how did you get on with this one? Not as well as you did. I, I found this was a total mismatch mm. of like wrestling styles. Yeah, they, they didn't click in a natural sense. No, no. <laughs> because the whole Tommy Dreamer's whole thing of like, oh, I, I'll always get back up again doesn't really work against like a flippy technical guy like AJ Styles, mm. unless, I think, you sell the cardio. The idea that AJ can flip forever and he's got the most ridiculous cardio on earth. Yeah, but Tommy But Tommy's an, he's a bit yeah. older. He's never been a big cardio guy anyway. Well, there's your problem right there. You're talking about wrestlers being old. We don't book that, brother. I just thought it'd be really cool for like AJ to do all these flips and stuff and Tommy to like sell the fact that he's, you know, he's getting physically tired and gassed and like has, has to, to resort struggle to, violence to then, get yeah. back up again, has to resort to violence. Yeah, and that's like more of the hardcore stuff. And I think as well... Tommy's other strength is selling the hardcore moves. And of course, he doesn't get any here. It's just flippy technical stuff. And it, he doesn't sell that. Yeah. He just, his version of selling is getting back up again. <laughs> and that doesn't work against AJ Styles wrestling style. So yeah. yeah, it didn't work for me. I gave it two stars. Fair enough. I think his time in Impact was one of these situations where you came to view him as being like a a very solid hand and he pretty much you know he came back for WWE for a few spots here or there he was well liked and well regarded in the business I guess is the point I was trying to make he's one of the only people I could think of who could flow in and out of Impact and WWE during those kind of you know pre-how-to years of 2011 to 2014 and he was promoting his House of Hardcore shows as well at the same time Mm. he actually I was impressed to see that the House of Hardcore shows you know, booking a lot of people who are just getting their break in the business and whatnot. But as well as that, like, he went up to Canada. He, he wasn't just Philly in New York. He went and he tried to make it a viable touring brand. And I think I was shocked as well to see this episode more than any other, the reactions from people. It feels like every other person who's tweeted in has had a, oh, Tommy Dreamer at my local wrestling show. Mm. And if you're looking at Tommy Dreamer on YouTube, yeah, there's WWE, there's ECW, there's TNA. But there's loads of videos of, like, Tommy Dreamer doing a spot for the local indie in Arkansas with, you know, 20 people in the audience. He is that Cole Cabana style of like, I'm out on the road. I'm always doing shows. You never know what show is going to be next. Mm. And I think obviously part of that is that's his livelihood. That's his career. But also I think he has this genuine love of performing. Yes. And I think he likes being the guy who goes to that small show and you can all sit under the learning tree. And I think it's a really important part of him is that I think he wants to be the guy who passes down the legacy. His mentor was Terry Funk. Right. The man who taught him to grow a goatee. Because <laughs> it'll make you look tough. And when you get like old me. and fat, people won't notice your double chin anymore. <laughs> so, never notice mine. I'm, I'm, I've been wearing a goatee since 1978. <laughs> but this idea of passing it down, I showed you a clip right at the start. And it was another one that made you almost well up because of how emotional he got. It was on one of the many WWE, the last time we'll ever, ever talk about ECW specials. And it's Tommy Dreamer talking about Paul Heyman. And he's like, people shit on this man. I shit on this man. He's lied to me. And yeah, he lied. But he gave us everything. Everything. Dusty Rhodes learned from Eddie Graham. And he learned 
from Dusty Rhodes and I learned from him and, and all these guys and it cuts over to like Bubba Ray who's like fucking you're not talking for me it's motherfucker like, no no this no. Bubba Ray Devon Taz and Taz and they're and like, they hey, all oh, look oh, like hang on brother they're like what on earth why is he saying this they look like he's mad and then it comes to Heyman he looks the same way he's like why is he saying but this but he has a tears rolling down his cheek yeah and Tommy's like I wish that you and, and that's something he, he kind of doesn't go into and he's like I wish you and I were closer and mm. we're not and obviously Might be that time you threatened to kill him that will usually be a turning of a page on television of sorts. yeah and you know i see tommy going to all these little shows i'm like yeah he wants to be the guy who sits down in the locker room and be like here kid let me tell you how i would do it and yeah. you know good or bad there's a lot of stories about that in, in the tweets i decided to do a bit of my own research please because he is so active on twitter and i did enjoy my little deep dive on Matt Bourne, my last episode. Yeah, the uh, the social media forensic analysis provided by Joe Graham. So I thought I'd do similar for Tommy. And I... Well, who's he murdered then? No. <laughs> I thought I'd just, you know, search some things on his account to see what his views are on stuff. To see, like, you know, what sort of person he is on Twitter. And just to find out what he thinks about some things. So he's, a, he's active on the social media. He, yeah, certainly used to be. <laughs> uh, he still posts occasionally, but... I, this is archival. So he's got some funny things to say about uh, a few different subjects. First of all, dogs. He loves dogs. Specifically his dog, I'm thinking. Every time I, so I search for the word girl or girls to see if he talks about his daughters, mainly. Every single post was about his ugly old dog. <laughs> Who he adores and he adopted, which is, is very a, nice. Is it what type of a dog is it? I don't know. Is it a pug? No, it's not a pug. I think it's a mastiff. Okay. It's one of those like scary, ugly dogs. One of those... Yeah, 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 yeah. Goblin like, dogs. Squat goblin dogs, yeah. <laughs> and he posts about that dog all the time, Aww. which is very sweet. He also did this tweet that made me laugh, which is, My daughter's got invited to a puppy bowl party. I didn't. I so love dogs more than any of those girls at that party. Back on the trampoline. Hashtag <laughs> unbooked. Hashtag bitter vet. Wow. Uh, shades of Dennis Stamp from Beyond the Mat there. Fabulous. <laughs> so he does talk about the uh, the family a bit then. He does. He talks quite a bit about the family. He talks about being a bad husband. <laughs> and he talks about how expensive it is being a dad. Okay. I've got one here. My girl's got their braces off. 10K. Beulah got a flat tire. $270. I took them out for lunch. $40. Expensive day, all before noon. Lot of posts about that. Why are you having lunch before noon, Tommy? Also, forty dollars for th- three people having lunch. Yeah, that's a bargain. That's a that's a great bargain. Yeah. Always complaining about that. I like that. Yeah, but yeah, he's, he's often posting about how expensive things are. I think he is a bit bitter about the money he is owed. Well, for him, it's a bit of a yeah. It's, it, when you're getting older as well, it's going to become more of a constant grind. Yeah. You know, and I know that with like you see it with Mick Foley, he's he got the big seven-figure contracts or whatever over yeah. the years and he gets the Legends deal and stuff like that. And I think as well, with ECW's overall value being somewhat diminished, there's going to be less cause for ECW action figures, compilations. It's still vague what, if any, money people get from the network. Yeah. But I would think whatever he gets is split a million ways with other ECW folks. He loves to, I think, make himself appear edgy and definitely did back... Uh, earlier in the decades what like 2011 2012 2014 this next one's from a lot lot of i can absolutely see that but that's all all that crew are all like that aren't they yeah i mean but definitely him someone tweeted tommy dreamer matches make your dick bigger scientific fact and he says lol it used to make vaginas hashtag raw nice 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 he 
very much portrays himself as being like a bad husband slash dad. Bad dude. Because he's like, yeah, he's just a normal guy. But that gets action on Twitter, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Some of the posts he writes are quite funny, as long as you know not to take them seriously. Now, to give any credit to Tommy, his wife has been given many pile drivers through tables. She's a tough broad. By him. By him. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure she's okay with these jokes. And as I said, in the like the, when they do their podcast they have banter. together, they have banter. This yeah, is the yeah. kind of relationship they have. He says, training hard, WWE TLC, don't know who is going through a table, Beulah, Twinovators, or my dog. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm still scratching my head about innovator of violence, but yeah. I'll give him that so he can call his daughters the Twinovators. That's pretty good, yeah. In seven <laughs> hours, I will be in trouble because Beulah will wake up and see how much I peed on the floor. E-C-Dub, E-C-Dub, E-C-Dub. My daughter said your doll doesn't look like you. It doesn't have a bald spot. Biggest oh. lol by Beulah ever heard. I may have to deliver a pile driver. Wow, Tommy really wants to pile drive his wife and children, huh? Yep. I mean, I figured if Sandman knew how to use his phone, it would be like this as well. <laughs> you know, he does occasionally tweet about the female superstars of his time, like the wrestlers of uh, ECW and stuff, which I, I thought was nice. I appreciate with him; he's one of the few people who would kind of go out of his way to try and, like, you know, help out the maybe less well-known, the, the non-Mount yeah. Rushmore ECW wrestlers. Yeah, you know, names that kind of got a bit forgotten over the years, like. Tracy Smothers and Tommy Cairo and stuff like that were, were names that he was always pushing for, but with the women as well. At yeah, least. when the... there's when there was the WWE Evolution, he said, you know, there was an ECW revolution. Woman, Luna, Beulah, Francine, Dawn Marie, Missy Hyatt, Jazz, side by side with the men, bumping, breaking bones in major storylines and always featured in main events. Thank you, ladies, for being hardcore. I mean, that's nice of him to actually acknowledge yeah. how important they were, you know, even through the strange lens of the 90s. I thought, seeing as he had his gross-out gimmick, I'd find out his attitudes on food. Find out if he's really as gross as he maybe seems on television. And in so doing, I came across some foods that he had never eaten before. I went 30 years before I ever ate an apple. Wow. 40 years before I tried coffee. What? 49 years before I ate my first banana. Wow. I would have thought someone would have given him one in ECW and would have bitten it and went, ah. Someone know? in the comments was like, are you seriously telling me he drank The Undertaker's spit before he drank coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. He is a bit weird with his food. There's a horrible post he did where he says that his wife Bueller is like, Tommy, please tell me you aren't eating that expired ground chicken. And he's like, I'm not, but I am. What is he eating? Expired ground chicken. Tommy! Tommy! Another fun fact is he does movie reviews and he rates them out of Singapore canes. So he'll be like, oh, that was nine out of ten Singapore canes or whatever. <laughs> He's uh, certainly not as, um, what's the word? There wasn't the true crime elements that there oh, was no. with the, uh, the Joy episode. No. If there was anything dodgy out there, I think he's deleted it. So, Well, Tommy, of course was probably the main character of Twitter for longer than he wanted to for reasons that he probably didn't anticipate in 2021. We're coming from two years now since his comments on Dark Side of the Ring on the episode about the plane ride from hell. There's a lot of people who aren't even listening to this episode. I'm fully, I don't say this episode's been you know thrown out in my mind. There's a lot of love and care and hard work has went into it. Yeah. I had to explain to the guy who requests this episode to go, hey, I'm going to wait yeah. <laughs> because I don't want this episode to just be about that. And here we are, you know, a bit later. And I feel like a lot of people are probably wondering why this episode hasn't just been about us talking about 
his shitty comments on Dark that Side of the so Ring. That would be so boring. I'm sorry. Yeah. I refuse to believe anyone wants that. But I feel like... I, I like, am the most, like, revenge-driven... Per- I'm Joe so hang him high, I would. And even <laughs> I don't want that. But, like, I felt that we needed to give the context of... It's not just shitty wrestler says shitty things. Yeah. For me, it's like, he says shitty things that I feel reflect the culture that he is still holding a torch for. Yes. And the good things of that culture are completely lost in the wash with the much more pertinent bad things. Mm Because people don't care about your good time or your partying or that you broke your back and you met your wife and it brings you to tears when you talk about those days of what wrestling was. People don't want to hear those days glamorized, Mm -hmm. yet alone defended. Yeah. And when Tommy Dreamer comes out and he takes the most blatant, brazen example of the bad old days, yeah. Ric Flair walking around, spinning his dick in everyone's face mm-hmm. and forcing a woman to touch it against her will. And then, like, not even reading the room of, like, you you are in on Twitter all the time, Tommy. You, you are plugged in. Mm-hmm. You know what people feel about that old generation. When Undertaker goes out and says, oh, he doesn't like the people play video games anymore. Like, that's the that's the fucking base, the tip of the iceberg. And there's all this other shit, and you're going to go defend that? Also, is he aware of what the show he was on was called? It's the dark side of the ring. Those comments that he made are the comments of a man extremely confident that he's going to be backed up by all the boys. Yes. 100%. I'm just saying yeah. what all the other guys are going to say. And you know what? I will point out as well. The referee, Mike Chioda... Mm who not only said pretty much the same thing as Tommy, and also laughed. Ha ha ha! Why couldn't she see how funny it was? <laughs> Man, I thought... And he, like, talking about, it, like, not just the good old days, but that's the peak of wrestling as far as Mike Hill is concerned. I know he's only a fucking referee, and he's not making towns or trying to be on TV shows. Yeah. But he didn't get fucking jack from that. No, because no one cares who he is. Yeah, but Tommy... Man, talk about you made yourself the straw man. The amount of comments I saw where it was, I always knew he was a piece of shit. Like this, people waiting for him to say something that mm. they're like, I always knew. And people don't can't articulate what they always knew about him. And I guess that was our hopes here today was to be able to try and articulate that he is in love with a toxic part of wrestling's past. Yeah. So let's get into it, shall we? Please, because there was a point I thought you never would want to do this episode because of what he said. <laughs> No, part of why I enjoy doing house wrestling is that I find it gives me a platform on which to fully put someone's feet to the coals, but also acknowledge... Tony Dreamer's feet are in the coals! Oh, he loves That's it. so hardcore! Yeah. And that was balls are on the coals as well! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> okay, so let's talk about what, what happened. I'm going to talk about what happened, the allegations, what Tommy said... And what happened after a bit? What yes, happened yeah. after, yeah. So, flight attendant Heidi Doyle alleged that Ric Flair entered the galley of a plane. She was an air hostess. This is the plane ride from hell. Well, there's a few different plane rides but from hell. The they all get confused. The plane ride yeah. from hell in 02, yeah. yeah. Um, so, he entered the galley in the back of the plane and asked for a Coke and then forced her to touch his penis. He span it around he was doing the silly helicopter thing that you know i know that boys when i was in school love to do stuff like that they got in trouble just to be clear because it's really bad and it is like sexual harassment rick cornered her basically and yeah said you know touch it touch it she says i couldn't move i couldn't get away from him 
He was spinning around his penis and he wanted me to touch it. He took my hand and put it on him. For fuck's sake. I was checking Tommy Dreamer's Twitter. I came across a lot of people who were kind of like... Oh, it's the woke left. Yeah, dismissing his comments and saying, oh, it wasn't, you know, who cares what you said? It doesn't matter. It wasn't bad. And, you know, you should stand by what you said because it's true and all this stuff. A lot of people are saying as well, oh, they just edited to make Tommy look bad. Yeah. Like, no, he had a... You know, if anything, they edited to make other people look good because I'm sure there's other people who said similar but Tommy was the guy who said it in such a way that perfectly encapsulated it. Well, I thought, why don't we compare what he said to what Rob Van Dam says about the incident? Because he was there as well. He's also an ECW he guy. Was Mr. He loved the party lifestyle of ECW. Absolutely. And yet doesn't seem to carry a fucking widow's candle for it in the same way as some well, of his other colleagues. Worth mentioning as well that Rob Van Dam, I think he has a very healthy relationship with women. He has like two girlfriends. He's able to, and they're both like porn stars as far as I know. He's able to acknowledge that a woman can embrace her own sexual identity without that being seen as like devaluing her somehow slightly more slightly more modern view of women than most of his colleagues but what he had to say about it was this i remember him crowding him being rick crowding her and trying to make her touch it and stuff so he made it quite clear basically that he said it was not appropriate that it happened at the time but it was not okay and continues to not be okay Tommy, though, Tommy says, Ric Flair is not going to impose any sexual stuff onto anybody. He's just flaunting, styling, and profiling. You don't know him. Yeah, you don't know him. And Do you doing, think Tommy Dreamer's name has ever been in Ric Flair's mouth? Doing the Ric Flair stuff where everybody's going to laugh about it, but obviously somebody took offense to it. So that's the first thing he said that was pretty shit. But then he also said about... The fact that she... Oh, she took it. She got a settlement from she it. She took a settlement. She filed a lawsuit and then settled. The lawsuit was for assault and battery, intentional infliction of emotional distress and false imprisonment. It's an attempt to kind of discredit her because she took money. Is yeah. That it, so basically. Dreamer said about the settlement that if that's how she felt, maybe she should not have taken a payout and went to the fullest extent to the law to then truly put this heinous person in jail. He says I that sarcastically. I hate that fucking bollocks. Yeah. Like, you know how difficult it is to actually... Like, you can look at the statistics yourself, like, what a losing cause that would be to actually get full legal satisfaction. The fact that it happened to be with a billion-dollar company footing mm-hmm. the bill, she was just... You know, most women aren't that lucky here in that situation, is all I'll say. They would be offered a settlement of any sort. To get any sort of a kind of acknowledgement of the harm that's been caused. But I think, like, with Tommy as well, I remember he said words to the effect of, oh, it's like you're getting offended, like the way people be offended about my ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like... God, he, he it was literally like a bingo card of every cringy yeah. thing the fucking wacky neighbor down the street he really doubles down he says at one point he's like yeah it's funny because rick flair had a massive dick he has a hammer on him as though that makes it okay then he also says i've hung out with rick flair and i've never seen him try to force his will on anybody oh well that's okay oh well it's fine then yeah because you're obviously omniscient so if you didn't see it then it never happened even though he literally just admitted to seeing it happen he's trying to have his cake and eat it yeah. oh man those days they were so wild you wouldn't believe the shit i'll tell you i'm I, obviously you know it's all okay and fine yeah don't ask about it but it's it's okay it's fine yeah it's fine it's really funny yeah and but he would funny. he would never have done it though but it was really funny when he did it jesus literally the only thing rick flair had to say about the episode was like i lost all respect for jim ross when he said those things about me because jr was like well rick you know we have to descend away from him and he, mm-hmm. he had problems like that rick is so self-centered the only thing he cared about was like this other guy said yeah. a thing about me he doesn't care about the people defending him because rick flair is a shitty person. He's a yeah. great wrestler. And one of my all-time favourites. He's a deeply shitty person who does not care 
that yeah. there's people defending him. He's not learned. <laughs> he expects to be defended. Yeah. And the thing he's most upset about was that more high-profile people didn't throw themselves under the bus mm-hmm. to defend him. Yeah. And Tommy, he got indefinitely suspended got from suspended, Impact. Suspended, yeah. He had a pretty sweet gig on Busted Open Radio as one of the co-hosts on there. That's like nationally syndicated, like worldwide it's listened to. Busted Open with, with uh, Bully Ray and all he them. He stopped his own podcast to start that podcast with them. He basically made every wrestling promoter up and down the country either go, okay, you're too fucking hot in the bad way right now for me to book because he'd be the type of person that if you booked him, people would flame you on, on Twitter. Oh, they, I saw it on Twitter. You know? There were loads of people saying, yeah. you, like tagging them in and being like, you have to fire him. Yeah, if you, bu- if you book him, I'm not coming to your yeah. show. Or if you book him, I'm telling everyone, in my, you know, all my yeah. 20,000 followers. And you know, there's going to be promoters who go, tell me what you did was reprehensible. I'm not going to book you. And then there's promoters who are going to go, well, I don't think what you did was so bad, brother, but all these SJWs are coming for me, dude, mm-hmm. so I can't book you. He basically, in one 100-second segment, probably did more damage to his ability to earn and his goodwill with the fans because I think it's never been the same since. Yeah. Because Tommy would have been... Like, that's why I brought up, you know, he went to all these places because he would have been Mr generally considered a good guy in the business yeah. to oh actually you're really really a piece of shit yeah and i i don't want to say i feel sorry for him because i think actions do need to have consequences is he cancelled no because tommy dreamer was welcomed back as a producer to impact wrestling within two months yeah, yeah. and has wrestled multiple times since mm-hmm. he still has a voice he's still on twitter i'm assuming he's not like uh, yeah, shut so, yeah. down since then no, no, no. you know he's not gone no, no. And he has lots of, as I said, vocal defenders of people who don't even think, you know, who believe what he originally said, which is that, oh, no, she must be a gold digger and it never even happened. I think the numbers of us who are like, hey, I grew up with him as a fan and I think what he said was really fucking shitty and stupid and he's a moron. But, you know, I, 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 I think he has an important place in a part of wrestling history. I think those of us, we're, we're probably the last of a dying breed now in that respect, because I think there's a lot of people who the only thing they're, they're going to know about Tommy is that. Yeah. And there's so many wrestlers in this day and age, Joe, and the game has changed so much. Like, Why, why would you be drawn to someone if you're a young person who has who so clearly shown that their values are so out of whack with like just modern society? That's it. Like, he has daughters like i hate that always yeah, is like the there's a whole like going to i can't because, like, about that too you like. should like you should be able to see women as people even if you don't have daughters but he does have daughters and they are you know probably in their teenage years now and it's just like how can he be so oblivious to not realize that if they were put in that situation of course they'd be traumatized like she was now i know he did an apology but it was one of those typical like shitty apologizing mm. for i'm sorry you got offended type of a uh, i've got it here oh please so he posted on twitter regarding my comments made on dark side of the ring it was never my intention to offend hurt or victim shame anyone i understand my comments were insensitive and could trigger emotions in someone's own personal past and i do not condone sexual misconduct of any kind i apologize to anyone i offended from the bottom of my heart I am so sorry. Now that's paraphrased slightly. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically what he said. And it's a shame because it's not a good apology. He doesn't really go on to explain if he actually meant what he originally said. Because I think he probably does or else he'd have said, oh no, actually what I said was wrong. Yeah, I think there's usually a... Because he says, oh, I'm sorry if I've offended anyone. The issue is not that people have been offended. The issue is that you condoned a crime. Mm, I think like there's always going to be people where it's like, look... 
there's nothing you can say to make make it right for some people that's the consequence of actions like this mm. be aware that there's people who will never ever ever forgive you no matter what you do yeah no matter what you learn no matter how you grow that is the consequence that is and that's not being cancelled that's not you're erased or you're not you're just no. Some people will feel that way about you. Yeah, and they're allowed to. And they're allowed to, because yeah. most people don't want to learn enough to think differently yeah. of you. Yeah, maybe you, you know? should have thought of that before showing your ass yeah. to the world. That's it. I just kind of think, for me at least, if I know that he's working as a producer, whatever it is, it's like, you need to know that he's like, learned something about this. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like steps. he has. I don't I, know if he even understands. He says he understands, but he hasn't shown that he understands why what he said was so awful yeah and like the reason for me like why like oh well he's you know done some stuff in in impact recently does that mean that it's all okay it's like well you know bully ray is like he's literally his best mate and he's like one of the top guys there so that doesn't surprise me that yeah. you know he's he's got some stroke or whatever it is or you know he is still i think well liked in the industry by certain key people oh i'm sure he's a you big know, suck up you know there's there's enough goodwill there in the industry but that's different from with the fans and i think Yes, the years are coming on and all that, and I think Tommy will probably still be a pervasive presence in wrestling, but Tommy Dreamer ain't going in no Hall of Fame. Hmm. If that means, because that means nothing to a lot of people, and I get that, but I think for someone like Tommy, yeah, it probably it does. Lot, yeah. But I think like WWE will never come within an arse's roar of him. And I think as a result as well, if there's anyone out there, historian-wise, wants to care about the legacy of ECW and how it's portrayed, butchered and hymied as it is already... I think that's another death nail in the coffin of the attempt for ECW to be viewed as we would have wanted it to have been looking back. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he went down with the ship, but the ship went down with him is what I think in this case. You yeah, know? I think, yeah, he just handled it really badly. He, he could have made it better. He could have given a proper apology, taken time to understand why people were upset. I think he already had a complicated, slightly tattered enough legacy as it was anyway that mm. I don't think... And he doesn't... The thing is, you know, he doesn't need to learn and grow and apologise for this. He'll still get booked. Because he'll still get booked. There's fans who defend him regardless and actually probably like him more now that he said all this bullshit. So what's the incentive for him here? I think, for me at least, I was happy that you were able to see what it was he made me feel like mm. when I was younger. And I know you, you very much had to put on your extremely empathetic hat yeah. to do that and to kind of put yourself in different shoes in a different time and all that. I think there is, for me at least, there's a reason why I've never decided to do like an ECW retrospective podcast mm. because I feel like there's certain parts of my wrestling fandom that as I look back more and more now, I'm like, yeah, nostalgia is great, but there's certain things where like revisiting the memories just leave us yeah you know i think there's so much stuff i can go back and go like wow i can understand and appreciate this in a whole new way mm. but i feel like every time i come into contact with ecw outside of you being able to see what i saw back then or to appreciate people who maybe haven't gotten their their flowers in retrospect i just don't think on, on its own the value is, is very much there yeah. anymore i think that it's not one person who did it, but there's a lot of bloody hands on the knife that kills the legacy of ECW. <laughs> and I never would have thought that, wait a minute, these bloody fingerprints, they're Tommy's! <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, How To Tommy Dreamer, folks. Well, why don't we go and check out what you guys have all got to say about the innovator of violence. It's time for your tweets with the hashtag How To Tommy Dreamer. 
The first post that came up when I searched the hashtag was actually one from me. Hey, I recognise that picture. In 2019. <laughs> it was when I was updating the future episodes page for the website. And I said, can someone please stop me from choosing this picture for Tommy Dreamer? And it's a picture of him looking disgusted at a lollipop. And the caption is, Tommy Dreamer puts it in his ass and then back into my mouth. Okay. Couldn't find any more details about that. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's some indie match out there, but we we searched for that on YouTube. Couldn't find it. Yeah. No hits with Tommy Dreamer and the lollipop. And the ass. It's good to know that the eating gross things, as maybe as the uh, physical side of the career is winding down. Yeah. You can still shove a lollipop up someone's ass and yeah. eat it. Eat it, yeah. <laughs> Now up from James D. Leach. I first heard of him in Mick Foley's book recounting his origin story <laughs> in ECW, and I'm not sure any wrestler could have lived up to the picture Mick painted. Yeah, God. Mick Foley, I think I, I, I probably have, have definitely undersold how important that was. His book talking about ECW, what it represented, he would write out all the promos like in word for word as he remembered them. You had this amazing, vivid picture. And like Tommy was made out to be this, like, fucking beacon of pure wrestling hope and whatever the ECW was. And, like, Mick's a great writer. And I think, yeah, James, is a very good point there that I remember when I finally saw Tommy, he was like, oh, it's the guy from the book! Mm-hmm. You know, but very few people could live up to the hype of what Mick Foley was saying about them in, honestly, to this day, some of the greatest wrestling promos of all time. Yeah. Recounted in the greatest wrestling book of all time. <laughs> yeah, he had a good friend in Mick Foley there. I think mm-hmm. Mick probably... Tommy owes a lot of his career for us who weren't watching ECW, you know, in Philly on local access TV back in the day. Those of us worldwide who found out about Tommy Dreamer probably did so on the pages of Have a Nice Day. So Mm. shout out to Mick Foley. Good book, that. Now from Refs as Wizards. You've called Tommy an insert yourself here protagonist, but as someone who was 100% the target demo for ECW, I was much more drawn to Raven, Sandman, Tajiri, RVD, Rhino, Jerry Lynn, or literally anyone else in the company. <laughs> Looking forward to learning something in this app. I think that's kind of the appeal of ECW, though. It has a type yes. for most people. Yeah, the, the guys who are like, you know, coming from the sports bar with their Philadelphia Flyers jersey, and then they're going to go drink a load of beers. And like, Basically, I imagine the guys from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia would yeah. have liked Tommy Dreamer. Yeah. They would have viewed himself. I'm not just saying that because Mac really looks like Tommy Dreamer <laughs> from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. No, not that season. No, not that one either. The early one, before it was one way or the other. Now from Adam Daz. If wrestling is the Truman Show, Dreamer would be Truman. Loves his reality. Blind standards of the outside world. Defender of wrestling's depravities and mostly toxic beliefs. See the Steve Austin podcast appearances. Oh, baby, baby. Yeah, mm. the idea, though, of Jim Carrey in the Truman Show realising, you know, what's happening and he bursts into tears. Not as good a movie. Mm. Speaking of, Will is also young. Tommy Dreamer felt like representation for me when I was younger. Brackets, an overweight white guy in comfy clothing. (laughs) His weepiness and seedier tendencies have dampened my enjoyment, but he is definitely a hardcore pioneer. I liken his appeal to Kevin Smith in many ways. Oh my God. Very apt. On the fucking nose right there. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. 100%. Hardcore Heaven 1998 is dogma 100% get it yes a guy of the time fucking hell even after the time (laughs) unique one now from confessions girl one i'm not really a wrestling fan but i'm very familiar with tommy dreamer i'm a sex worker a lot of my clients loved tommy dreamer and showed me videos of him 
These were very submissive men who enjoyed watching Tommy getting whipped with bamboo sticks. <laughs> And saying, please, sir, may I have another? That's so fucking funny. Being ball busted and bullied, he was even made to drink some chewed up tobacco. There's a subculture of submissive men who love this and see Tommy as an avatar and paid me to do it to them. And they were all very sweet. Wow. How about... I love any time that we can, like, draw a line between wrestling and that wider world. That is fantastic. I think sex work and wrestling is inextricably, like, linked. It's just very entangled next from too late to twitter dreamer was the everyman that wrestling fans could relate to an average white guy with a goatee hey it was the 90s black t-shirt and sweatpants the problem was that's all he was if you can't relate to him why would you care he was just never very interesting yeah i mean there's very very few characters in wrestling that i would say have that ability to kind of when wrestling was what it was in the 90s that's not a problem but like you know i think about you know the time you got into wrestling and i think there was a huge uptick in fans and i I think a huge part of it was a lot of wrestling fans came back and i think a lot of wrestling fans you know their partners started watching things like total divas Mm. i think the shield and the effect of you know people blogging about them on tumblr and pinterest and stuff like that i think all those served in a great way to bring more women and more just not, not just your typical wrestling fans yeah. we had a more diverse wrestling audience has come in the last 10 years and it's been kind of exponential to the point where like the notion of wrestling being the remit of just straight white guys is like so laughable now oh, yeah it's, it ain't that no, at all you at know all. but it shows you kind of the difficulty with his legacy mm. we didn't count on other people watching in the <laughs> 90s god damn it now from turtle of not m i never got the appeal of tommy dreamer i always felt he was overrated granted i only ever saw his work in wwe and tna but he spent more time outside of ecw than in it of all the ecw originals that became mainstays in wwe he is the least entertaining i think he's the guy who you know it's that linkage sandman could show up and do the sandman stuff yeah and it's like I don't even need to know what ECW is, and I know that's cool. Yeah. Sabu, Rob Van Dam, the Dudleys, you know, heck, there's a million guys you could pick. But like, I've heard a lot of people kind of talk about, like, ah, Tommy came to my like local indie show, and like, he didn't do, you know, all he did was like a couple of like trash can shots at the yeah. end or whatever it is, and it's like he's kind of like just the guy who does some hardcore bits. Yeah. And without the ECW branding and that whole wrap around him, he's not very much on his own. Yeah. You know, I think. Not to say he doesn't have skills and abilities, mm. but they are kind of masked by his his branding, for lack of a better term. 100%. Finally now from HXC Coney Island, he was the John McClane of ECW. <laughs> a regular guy in an extreme situation. The best pure good force of ECW. He gave everything all the time. He broke his body for the company and the fans. If not for his actions on Dark Side of the Ring, I feel this would be the main takeaway. Yeah, I... I think so. I think that there's an asterisk beside a lot of the things I said earlier on mm. that I feel like there's times where I come on this show and I'm kind of like, I'm going to make you and the people listening at home see something or maybe think about something. Yeah. And this time, like, I don't want to say I went in kind of resigned, but I'm like, you're not going to not think about this thing. I can't make you unthink. Mm. Tommy can't unring that bell. Those are the consequences of his actions. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it... Does it show how precarious people's positions in, you know, the public eye are because of their extreme connected nature? Yeah. But like, 
hey, I wake up lots of mornings and kind of go, oh, I hate that the world is like this and everything. So he didn't have to but say he didn't anything. Have to say it. He didn't have to be on it. He didn't change. have to say that. Yeah. He could have done what Rob Van Dam was and said, you know, it happened. It wasn't good. That's all he needed to say. And he, if he didn't want to say that, he could have said nothing and not been on it. I just never thought he'd be a guy who had such a big blind spot. Yeah. But turns out he was drinking the Kool-Aid all along. Mm. And, and not just for ECW. And that's the thing is, I think for someone who broke his back, he broke his body for, for ECW, for that company. He sacrificed so much money physically otherwise. But like, I feel like he's been crucified for the sins of wrestling past, mm. not for ECW. Yeah. It's because of what he grew up idolizing. Mm. And, you know, it's always like the, the, the worst bullies are the people who were bullied themselves. And I feel like the, the worst people to come out and defend toxic behavior are the people who lived it, experienced it, no better but then want to convince themselves, no, it's cool. It's, yeah. it's a legacy. Mm. I'm prote- I'm protecting Dusty Rhodes and Eddie Graham. I'm like, you're fucking not. And they're all dead anyway. Yeah. Like, come on. You owed it to your family to, to think about this more carefully. Mm-hmm. Forget about fans and stuff like that. I, I can't help but think about the, those twin girls and the fucking indignity of it all hearing your dad say that about a woman is just so I'd be so I mean I know they're still young but like Christ I just even if I was like 14 I'd be so embarrassed to hear my dad say something Mm. like that about a a human being but ultimately today has been a chat about legacy and just not maybe the the way I thought it would be but it ultimately is about legacy and that's what most wrestlers are concerned with and least of all those wrestlers who go out and try to defend the indefensible but maybe Tommy will have taught the next generation some pertinent lessons. Maybe not the ones he intended to teach. Mm. That just might be the current page run on the story that is Tommy Dreamer. I want to say a big shout out and thanks to everyone who shared their stories, their experiences, and given this episode a chance and really kind of identify what we're trying to do here. I think we've got a really fabulous fan base who knows what our goals and our intentions are when we do these deep dives and these episodes. Yeah. We're not trying to sharpen axes or rile up posses. We're just trying to get to the meat of the matter. And mm-hmm. I think with your help here today, folks, I'm I'm amazed at how much you have been able to see through all of this. The good, the bad, and the indifferent. But our next episode, on the theme of Joe having to sit through something that was less palatable, and then giving her exactly what the fuck she wants. Yay. Oh, it's time to check the clock. Because next episode, you wouldn't believe what time it is. It's Vader time. We're going to be doing How To Vader, all about wrestling's legendary 400-pound true mastodon. It's How To Vader. We're going to be learning all about the life and times of Leon Vader White, the man who terrified Japan, who bemused me as a younger fan and then became one of my all-time favorite wrestlers from doing this very podcast. And Joe, the little you've seen of Big Van so far... It's easy to say that you're a big fan of Big Van. I am. I really like him. Although we were talking to Adam and Billy about this. And apparently in earlier episodes of How To, I was very critical of him. Hmm. Well, we're going to need some helpers to help us remember what it was. Because yeah. my recent memory of, is you loving him. Yeah, I just remember loving him. On our, We did some WCW shows mm-hmm. recently on the Patreon page. I know that Ken Shamrock versus Vader is... Yeah, is that, that still your favourite match? Or it's definitely up there, It's yeah. up there. So we are after your matches, moments, stories... 
The legacy that you view the man having. All the dirty gossip about his feud with Will Ospreay and the time he accidentally tweeted his penis. That's what Billy wanted us to know, yeah. first and foremost. Quick look at his dick. With the hashtag HowToVader. Any and all information about this and upcoming episodes, HowToWrestling.com. And don't forget, as always, we are 100% fan and listener supported. And if you want to help support the show and get access to a whole ridiculous bevy of side content, I'm talking all the monthly pay-per-views from AEW and WWE going all the way back to 2016. Monthly pay-per-view reviews, you get them all as well as that. We do Totally Divas. We're reviewing all of Total Divas starting from the start. Can you believe the series is over 10 years old now? And my Natalia impersonation only gets better with each <laughs> passing episode. We also have the The Big Show Show, our favorite side series, and my favorite podcast I do on the planet, Pay-Per-View Classic, the most recent episode, AWA Super Clash. Absolutely fantastic. You can vote on the upcoming episodes. As always, patreon.com forward slash wrestling. Become a backer for as little as $5 a month and get a minimum of two new pieces of content each and every month. And if you want to join, you can back out whenever you like with no commitment to stick around. Well, until next time, where we're going to be looking at one of the all-time greats, Invader, it's going to be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.